episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and somewhere in Western Los Angeles. It was created by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission to create treatment that helps addicts and alcoholics by using connection and compassion rather than control. They have decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness, and they make sure that your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is crucial when you're kicking fucking heroin or meth or benzos or whatever. Everyone that I know that has been to Oro only said good things, and I would not lie about that. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, sound bath meditation, equine therapy, yoga, the potentially spiritual transformative sweat lodge, there's so much good stuff going on at Oro. If you have a problem and you feel fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I cannot suggest going to Oro enough. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. What is Sober Buddy? Sober Buddy is a buddy in your pocket. It's, a, it's an app on a phone that helps you maintain sobriety. If you're on the fence, it helps you Figure out the pros and cons of why sobriety might be a good thing for you. They have a free sober tracker. If you sign up at YourSoberBuddy.com or at the Google Play Store or at the Mac App Store, you can get a seven-day free trial of Your Sober Buddy. I love Your Sober Buddy. I use it every day. I love the challenges. I love the community. Go to the App Store or the Google Play Store, get a week for free from your sober buddy or the free sober tracker now. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Soberlink. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult, and our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you want a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify your identity. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and it sends directly to your specified contacts, so there is no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's unique remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off 
promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com slash dopey. That's www.soberlink.com slash dopey. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Evolution Accounting and Consulting. Evolution Accounting and Consulting is like a dream factory. If you have a dream, uh, you have to do your dream. You have to focus on your dream. If you want to make a t-shirt company or a hoodie manufacturing company or a podcast or a band and you want to make money, you're not going to be good at organizing all that stuff. You need an accountant. And Evolution Accounting and Consultants offers full fucking service on taxes, bookkeeping, payroll, and almost any other business need you have. Their pride is to allow you to pursue your dreams while they take care of the business, which we all need someone to help us with, especially me. And not only that, the guy who created Evolution Accounting and Consulting, the owner, Eric, our good friend, is a fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now, and he knows the struggle as well as the success. Use the promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com, and you will receive special discounts. It's www.evolution-accounting.com. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave. And before I do anything else, I just want to congratulate Brady Peck on winning the DopeyCon theme song challenge. And I think Brady Peck is the first dope to really win a contest. He got the 500 bucks. He is en route to DopeyCon as we speak. And I want to thank all the other participants in the DopeyCon theme song challenge for doing such beautiful work. And these songs are going to be fucking incredibly helpful for the future of Dopey. New music is always good. If you're a musician and you wanted to get a Dopey song in, you still can. Just email it to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. So I'm very excited. Tomorrow is uh, finally DopeyCon. You don't have to hear about it anymore. Although if you listen to this show tonight, right, and you're in the New York City area, there's still a few tickets. You know, I wonder if people are going to show up at the door and we're going to have to turn people away. That is possible. But um, but it's also there's a few tickets. So if you're planning on coming to the door without a ticket, there's a good chance you can get in. So come one, come all, come to DopeyCon. I've been seeing a lot of people making their pilgrimage. People are showing up. James Glennie, graphic designer extraordinaire, arrived from jolly old England. Fucking Mick Popham arrived from New Zealand. Steve Schneider arrived from somewhere out west, I believe Arizona or New Mexico or one of those states. And uh, and they're getting together. The dopes are getting together in town. This morning, I fucking went and picked up Andy Roy from the airport and had the best morning with him. I bought him a smoothie. We had a really good time. It was really, it was nice to get to know Andy off of the show, which was really magical. But it's it's always magical to uh, to meet somebody, especially an addict in recovery, especially somebody that uh, you know a little bit and get to know. And I, I think that's one of the magical things about DopeyCon is that a bunch of 
you know, people are in a, in addiction, in recovery, uh, around those things can come together and chill. And, and like, we're all so alike that it's, it's just an amazing, there's amazing potential for good reaction in these situations. People predict relapses and debauchery and all this shit, but at the same time, there's just as much of a chance or if not more of a chance of people getting together and having a really good time. And uh, the show is going to be great. The show is, I, I, I know, I have great faith that this show is going to be really, 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 really good. And um, I got some stuff that I want to read. But before I read it, I want to tell you guys something else, which is that at DopeyCon, like, Howie's going to do a bunch of, like, we're shooting it. We're also shooting it, like, it looks like this company wants to make a documentary series out of Dopey, so they're going to be shooting a bunch of stuff and talking to a bunch of dopes. And Howie has, like, we rented camera equipment because Howie's so excited to do this three-camera shoot of DopeyCon, and there's a projector, so he's like, we need to get a slideshow together um, to project shit. So, And me being, you know, wanting to be thorough, I was like, okay. So I went back in my phone, and I never did this before. I started when we started the show, and I started going through all of my pictures and creating, like, a dopey folder with pictures and and logos and and messages and it was so overwhelmingly emotional uh to do it obviously because of chris and todd and colleen and liam and dave marshall and all these people that died um but also just all the time that has passed you know my kid and then in, interspersed with all the dopey stuff is my kids growing up and then a ton of shit from cats is because i do their social media so it's like Dopey, pastrami. I, I used to take pictures of seagulls all the time, so there's seagulls. I used to take pictures of the guys at Katz's sleeping in the basement, so there's that. And then there's Dopey. And then there's my kids. And then there's, like, Chris dying. And then there's, you know, Todd dying and all of this stuff. So, like, it's been very emotional to go through stuff and to find, like, back in the day, we had this fan named Scott Countryman. I don't think he listens anymore. But back in the day, he made a T-shirt design that said, keep Todd off of weed. And it had a picture of Todd that Todd thought was really funny. And I saw that and just stuff like that. It's it's like, uh, you know, this is your life kind of shit. And, uh, and I saw a bunch of super funny messages from Joey Pepper. And then, you know, and Joey Pepper, if you don't know, was this crazy dopey fan who used to like diss the show made fun of Chris, made fun of me. Then he got sober. Then he relapsed, bashed the show. And then he wrote a, a shitty review about us. He wrote like 10 shitty reviews on iTunes. Then he wrote a shitty review about us on It's All Bad's fucking reviews. And then he just emailed me that he he loves Dopey. And, and, and I got emotional because I love Joey Pepper. So Joey Pepper, I'm glad to have you back in the fold. And I guess Dopey wouldn't be Dopey if you weren't shitting on us. And uh, we got um, an email from this woman, Jess. I read her email when I was in Park City. She had the story of having the baby in jail, and I wanted the update of what happened. So I'm going to read you her update. And she says, Davey, and she spells it D-A-V-E-E-E. I was so stoked to hear you read my emails on the, my email on the episode. Legit made my whole year. 
I sent it to my best friend and sister to listen, and they said they would subscribe. That's interesting. No one subscribes. So, yes, subscribe, everybody. Go subscribe. So, on to the update. My daughter, her name is Zinli. She is now four and a half years old. She is beautiful. She is bold and has a vibrant personality. She is such a kind-hearted kid, and honestly, I couldn't have gotten any luckier. I don't know if all parents are biased like this, but my daughter is so fucking smart, it blows my mind. She has never been to daycare or school, but she absorbs everything around her, already reading and writing, and she even knows math. It's crazy. As for my ex, we will call him A.G. He spent two and a half years in prison and made no change to his lifestyle. He was high his entire stint and got out weighing a whole 105 pounds. I stayed with him, though, through thick and thin. When he got out, I stayed with him through his relapses and lies. In the past, I was there with him, so I tried to be as understanding as humanly possible. We were the same at some point, so I wasn't going to let drugs get between us. He lived, with, he lived with me at my mama's for about seven months, and I was down for him until one day things changed. I felt it, so I did as any other suspicious partner would do and went through his phone. I found out he was cheating on me with the crackhead that lived next door. I packed his shit that day, and we haven't been together since. I can take a lot. I can put up with a lot, but cheating just isn't one of those things. Anyway, a few months went by, and now my daughter has a new baby brother. Neither of them got clean, so I think the state has the baby now. Whoa. Sad story. I keep an open communication with his side of the family for my daughter. Her grandparents are absolutely wonderful people. I reach out to him to him constantly because I grew up without a dad, and I don't want that for my daughter. Clean or not, I want him to be in her life, but in true addict fashion, he completely isolates when he is not clean. We have seen him once at a Memorial Day barbecue out at his dad's house in the last almost three years. I continue to message and plead with him, uh, but he won't message me back. It's truly upsetting, and I really hope he comes around before it's too late. I plan to keep it real with my daughter throughout her life. She knows I've been to jail, and I let her know uh, things little by little in age-appropriate ways. We have a strong connection, and I'm eternally grateful for our relationship and her presence in my life. I've learned that being a parent gives me as much of a high as drugs did. Wow. I do experience psychedelic moments just being with my daughter. It's the connection, like Dr. Gabor Mate says, uh, the antidote to addiction is connection. It's easy for me to look at my daughter and just know I can't get high. As long as she is looking at me, I will forever try and be my full, ambitious, sober self for her. I love you, Dave. I feel like you, Chris, Linda, the girls, Alan, and now Phenomenal Fentanyl J are a second family to me. I'm invested in all of you guys, and I am forever praying and hoping for the best of you all. I wish I could go to DopeyCon, but Texas to New York is a hell of a long way. Thanks for enduring another long email. I tried to shorten it, but I just couldn't. Toodles. Um, all right, Jess, that's a rough email, but a great email. I'm glad you're doing good. We're rooting for you and um, your daughter, Zinli. And, like, you never know with the guy. I mean, like, I kept using for years after we had a kid. You never know how this shit is going to fucking play out. But, um, you know, I mean, I can tell you don't stay sober for Zinli, but if it's working, it's working. For me, I said I couldn't, st I couldn't. I needed to get clean because I couldn't handle it. Like, I couldn't handle being that guy with my kid, you know, being a bad parent. But I guess it's very similar. It's two sides 
of the same coin. But I'm happy to hear from you. And people are coming from other countries. So, I mean, I know Texas is kind of like another country, but you could come. You could figure this thing out. Give me a break. I got this message on Instagram that I want to read, too, before we get to Jason Biggs is on the show, right? Big fucking deal. Jason Biggs from American Pie and Loser and Boys and Girls. All right, I got this message. Hey, Dave, hope this finds you well. I'm a big fan and really appreciate what you do for our community. I'm from New Zealand. I've stayed off the booze for nearly three years now, but it gets harder and harder by the day. Though not exactly sober, I smoke a lot of weed. That helps me not drink and not do other drugs on weekends. Um, MDMA and LSD are my favorite. But now all of a sudden, I've been on ketamine and Valium for like a week, and it's feeling like it's about to get away from me. But all I want to do is get more, not sure what, all I want to do is get more. Not sure what to do, but voicing this has felt really good. So thank you so much for the podcast and everything you do. And toodles for Chris. Also, I have some funny Coke Valium stories if you're keen to hear them. Uh, That's from Jordan. I'm always keen to hear a funny Coke and Valium story. Um, And I know you're not asking my advice, but like it's hard to stop some drugs and not other drugs like i find that to be very very difficult so um but do your thing you let your freak flag fly and and stay in touch jordan and send in a voicemail to uh dopeypodcast at gmail.com record it on your phone make it like five minutes make it funny and send it in but before we get to jason biggs i want to remind you that our sponsor better help is an amazing resource if you're looking for a therapist. I know that when I got all stuck in my head and crazy and fearful, I needed therapy, and I went right to online therapy because sometimes my head is just spinning, and I needed help to change my mind. And it's very hard to train my brain to stay in problem-solving mode when I'm faced with a challenge. So I needed to talk to a therapist, and I wound up talking to one online. She gave me strategies. She gave me compassion. She was kind and patient, and I love doing online therapy. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a super option. It's convenient. It's accessible, affordable, and entirely online. You can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. It's like online therapy is a great thing. When you're ready for therapy, BetterHelp can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. If your wheels are spinning, give BetterHelp a try. And now let's get to our big movie star, Jason Biggs. I guess, you know, when I tell people Jason Biggs, is coming on the show, they were like, I didn't know Jason Biggs was a drug addict, or I didn't know Jason Biggs was in recovery. Well, here we go. Jason Biggs is, in a, is a drug addict in recovery, and he came to my dad's house, so I'm going to play it for you. I'm in Manhattan. I'm at my dad's house, and in a strange turn of events, we have a bona fide movie star at my dad's house. Jason Biggs, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm 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 gobsmacked <laughs> at, at the presence of a movie star at my dad's house. That's now, very sweet. Thank it, you. I'm. Is it scary to show up in a place like this? 
as a movie star? Not at all, man. I'm 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 a I'm a Jersey slash city kid. I'm there's no, not at all. I plus like you know I checked you out a little bit online. I was like, all right, it feels. Plus I know you're sober. Sobriety, man. That that to me is like it it answers a lot of questions immediately without even having to meet someone. Right? You go, oh, they're sober. I I I feel this way already, and I I know I can I know I can you know <laughs> show up here and not feel like. I mean, I know you're fucking crazy. That's definitely, but that. What that, gives that away, Jason Biggs? <laughs> how do you know? How do you know? Why would you, as evidenced by what, Jason Biggs? Because you're sober and an alcoholic. Okay. It wasn't yeah. because I, I I messaged you on Instagram maybe a hundred times before you noticed. Listen, you were a little aggressive. It's, uh, But hey, I'm here. I'm it's here. worked out. It obviously worked, right? It works out. It works out. In a most- way, I feel a little bit bad because you're going to continue to be fucking crazy. Because you figure, hey, you know what? It worked for Biggs. I got Biggs in my dad's house by being, by being crazy online. So, hey. I don't think I was crazy as much as I was persistent. You were persistent. I wrote yo many times. There were a few yos. How Some you, of them had exclamation points. I, yeah, I'm, I'm big with that. <laughs> but in the end, it's not like I invited you over to break your legs. I invited you over to come on a podcast exactly. and people will enjoy you and you'll help people and people exactly. will be helped. No, it's... So like my persistence has paid off yeah. and for the most part people have been pleased with the outcome. Right. That's by all accounts. <laughs> so No, I'm honestly I'm psyched to be here. Thank you for asking me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the kind words and I'm uh no, I'm stoked to be here, man. To be famous in New York City like just before we get into all the fun nitty-gritty mm-hmm. of being a drug addict and an alcoholic, to be what's it like to be famous in New York City? It's for me the best place to be famous for sure. I lived in LA uh, for a long time, for too long, and that's where I first really got famous. And it was super fun. I was really young. I it, I was single and had some dough, and you know, is part of the reason I'm sitting here as a sober man on a sober podcast today. But um, it was really fun in the beginning. But LA is a weird fucking place, man. Fame is the currency, and that gets old real quick. But it's, you know, not like me, life it's, like, on, it's not life on the street in L.A. It's not like street life like here. No. Well, in L.A., you're never on the street. There is no – There is a, it's a different way. To, it's interesting because in New York, you have a lot more human interaction. So in theory, I may be getting recognized more. If it's just a numbers game, I interact with more people, so therefore – I'm more likely to have someone recognize me, maybe say something, right? In LA, you're much more isolated, which was part of my problem, by the way. It, 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 that's where things got really bad for me because well, I was very alone there, it, ultimately. But, you know, you don't interact with people as much. But when you do, you know, nine out of ten times, it's with someone who moved to LA to become famous, who is gobsmacked by your fame and only cares about your fame and only wants to talk about your fame and wants to know how to become famous. In New York, it's just a bunch of people. My, me being an actor is just sort of what I do here. I can, I can allow myself to be uh, a bunch of other things, you know, a dad, a husband, a dude that likes to go on bike rides, someone who, you know, whatever, goes to the bodega and gets a shitty cup of coffee. I can do that and then the acting thing is kind of the background noise. It just happens to be what I do. Whereas in L.A., it's your, your life. It's everything. It's everything. My buddy describes L.A. He's an, he's an actor who actually moved back to New York 
exactly the same time I did after being in L.A. for a long time. He describes L.A. as for an actor, um, as it, like an actor living in L.A. is like a doctor choosing to live in the hospital. <laughs> right. Just, you just can't fucking escape it. Right. It's all everyone wants to talk about, all anyone cares about. It's insulated. And I'm sure yep. a lot of a lot of successful actors love that. They get everything they want. They're plugged in all the time. They're they're they get to be seen. It's also mm-hmm. very fancy. I liked it in the beginning. No, I did like it at first. It did was, you go before American Pie? Yeah, but um, yeah. So I started acting. My just quick background. I started acting in the city when I was five. So I was a kid actor, you know, and did a bunch of shit here in New York. Was on Broadway, and then how did it start? Did you want to do it? Was your mom like you should do this? It's kind of weird. My older sister who's uh, seven years my senior, when she was a kid, she was in this dance group uh, and they were like really good and achieved some success locally and they started traveling around and they were a bunch of precocious, you know, talented little girls who, whose parents, you know, moms mostly were like, oh, maybe I can, you know, because of the proximity to New York. I mean, we grew up eight miles from here. We're like, Oh, let's get them agents, managers. Let's do the acting thing in Broadway and Baba Duban. My sister wanted to do it. So my mom was like, okay, I guess if you get an agent and you do commercials or whatever, you start making money, we could put that money away for college. That was the genesis of the whole thing. I just followed in her footsteps. One point, my younger sister was doing it as well, all three of us. And after a few years, I was the one that was working consistently and continued to like it. The other two were like, fuck this, I want to be a regular kid. And I just kept at it. So do you think you liked it because you were good at it? And it was yeah, like, it's of course. Just, and it's all that like positive affirmation all of, the time. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. And I, you know, in, in Jersey, I was trying to, you know, I was living just a normal kind of suburban ish life. And, you know, my parents were strict and, you know, I just dealt with shit at home and, yeah, I got out of acting, I got things that I probably couldn't get at home. And for sure, the affirmation and it's special and it's, it's speci- fancy it's and it's something different. Totally. And I was kind of always very mature, I guess. And at least, you know, I don't know if it was the acting that made me mature or if I thrived in the acting because I was already mature, whatever it was, it fit. And, you know, so because I'd be coming into the city and be I would like be the only kid in a big production right so it'd be like I'd come in and be the son on a big commercial set and it was a bunch of adults right the people that are making the commercial are all adults the people that play my parents are adults and I was like the kid and so it felt cool to come in and be like first of all to leave school for the day sure. or whatever and come in and be like you know treated you know like like you know special and you know, and get to like they give you snacks. They give you snacks, and and yeah. they have to treat you well. And, and they have to and, treat you well. And you're like the little prince in the totally. situation. Exactly right. Which exactly is right. which is nice. And then I'd go home and you know get into a massive fight with my parents and be grounded and smacked and the whole fucking thing. <laughs> how does like? Because it reminds me of like the feeling special thing. Like, how does it relate to alcoholism? Yeah, well, you know, I love that terminally unique you sure. know, phrase or expression. that The we piece have. of shit in the center of the universe. Exactly, exactly right. But it was a real, for me, the, 
It was a real crazy, just sort of juxtaposition. People, I, I feel, I feel like I hear in meetings a lot when people share or qualify, they talk about, you know, how they were living sort of two lives, whatever their version of that was. For me, it was, um, you know, and not sort of feeling maybe necessarily at home in either or feeling more at home in one, but then having to spend most of your time in the other, whatever it was trying to find that, you know, it's sort of this little existential sort of crisis <clears throat> that I had as a kid, right? I was like, am I a normal suburban kid that plays sports in school with my friends? Or am I the kid that's like the professional actor that, you know, treads the boards on Broadway and gets flown to LA to do TV shows? You're I both. Was both. And it's fucked but up it's to be a kid confusing. who has to work though, even in it, general. That's also true. Because you're working. It's that's cool. Also, yeah. But you're fucking on the clock and people are relying on you. And you're when you say professional actor, it's it's like, I mean, yeah. you're not making wallets. I have the same expectation. Exactly. It's very true. I'm not <laughs> exactly. I'm not at a labor camp in China, but thank it, God. Thank God. But it it was intense. I mean, I you know, I, I, the same expectations were placed on me as it was, as, as they were on the adult actors in the production that I was in. But I also had the expectations to succeed in school. You know, I'd, I'd say the toughest stretch for me was, but also rewarding in its own way, was when I did Broadway when I was 13, 14. I did it for over a year. And my schedule was insane. So what I, was the play? It was a Herb Gardner play called Conversations with My Father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was Judd Hirsch won a Tony for the Judd role. Judd Hirsch, amazing. Right? Ledge, legend. Tony Shalhoub was nominated for a Tony in, the, in it. Um, was this the first time you played Jewish as a non-Jew? This was... Something that's haunted you like the pie? And by the way, this was... I'm trying to think if it was the first time. It certainly was the most... It was the biggest role of, yeah i think it actually might have been the first time and it, and it wasn't it wasn't just playing a character that happened to be jewish right this play was about jewish identity super in jewish. new york super yes. super jewish yes. literally my name was yussel goldberg i wore a yarmulke <laughs> i mean i spoke hebrew or yiddish i was yeah. speaking yiddish it, it was an amazing play but yeah it was that was that set me on the on the path and by the way i was 12 13 i think my nose was just like kind of developing into the yes. nose it is it is now like i was hitting puberty and becoming this uh is that the worst to look jewish and not be jewish i'm just curious cuz i'm not, incredibly jewish and i look incredibly jewish yeah. and i've always assumed like an idiot that you were jewish no, and i think the first thing i read is don't don't be fooled jason big is, is not, not jewish. jewish yes no, I've made You've millions done, of dollars from being. I love uh, it. Thank I, you. I mean, come That's on. That's awesome. No, and in, in fact, I uh, I make a joke. I'm like, in any anytime someone's like, "Wait, you're not Jewish?" I'm like, "Yeah, don't tell Hollywood. Don't tell them. <laughs> don't, don't tell, tell the them. Jews in Hollywood. Don't. I'm not one of them. Tell them. But Sarah, I think it was Sarah yeah. Silverman yes. recently made a comment yes. about like, you know like non-jews playing jewish yeah yeah, yes. yeah 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 and and i didn't know about it but i was like at a press line or something and someone's like did you hear sarah silverman da, 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 da. And how do you feel about that and i was like oh shit <laughs> i'm like <laughs> i'm like well my kids are jewish i married a, a jew so does that count that gives me Less, I, it's, a I, I, it's a lot of cred it's a lot of. i, I think at this point i've got the cred i've got the jewish cred you're from new jersey it's you married insane. a jew yeah come on it's all i mean like come on whatever you probably know more yiddish than i do i probably do baruch hashem i mean come on it's all it's i'm i'm there i'm right there with you yeah so that so that was um what was that so yeah I, that, well, I was just gonna say that was really that was a crazy year because i was basically doing you know the broadway schedules 
pretty wild at night. It's eight shows a week. So I would go to school during the day and then come home, do a little homework, get in the car, sit in traffic, come into the city, do, it was a three hour fucking play. I wasn't in the second act. So in, during the second act, I would do homework in my dressing room. Then I would go for curtain call. Then I would drive home in traffic, get home 1130 midnight. Your mom or your dad drove you? They alternated. But that was the deal. That was Got to drive Jason home. That was the Every deal. Every night in eighth And there were three kids, right? So there were two kids in the play, <clears throat> and then we had one understudy. And so there were three sets of parents, right? But the parents made a deal that only one parent would need to be there with the three kids. So they the parents would alternate weeks. So if it wasn't my parents' week, they could drop me off go home for three hours and then come back. Or they could just kind of go f- whatever, chill out or take a nap in the car. I mean, it was intense for them too. Very intense. I'm, I'm imagining, yeah. you know, I have a 12 year old and a four year old and it's, I don't want her to do that. I don't yeah, want, no. I don't, you know, I don't no way. No, I mean, she wanted to for a second. Now, a lot of like, you go to meetings here and there, I go mm-hmm. to meetings here and there. And like, you always hear the story of somebody who at the, the parents at the dinner party, you know, sneaking the alcohol or whatever, mm-hmm. drinking the end of the drink. You're <laughs> around show business at a super young age. Is there alcohol around? Is there drugs around? Are there drugs around? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, no, I never I never saw any of that. I was wasn't exposed to it. You know, it's interesting. Again, I think because my exposure to the business would be in a way limited to the time that I was working on the set or the stage, whatever. And then I would leave, right? There wasn't like, hey, let's go. We're all going out. I was the kid, so I would go home. You know, there wasn't, I never hung out with- They protected you. I was protected. Yeah, I I was totally isolated in that regard. And my parents were not drinkers. And so it wasn't really that. In fact, if anything, my mom was so strict. And as we got older and started driving and- she would, you know, she was very, uh, you know, she catastrophized everything. My mother, mm. if you had one drink, you would die. There was no, there was no middle ground. It was always, it was very black or white. You take a sip of alcohol, you're going to wrap your car around a tree. That was it. And so there was all this death and doom and like, you know, that she put around drinking and drugs. And of course, all it did and her, her being so strict about it, of course, all it did was make me want to do it. You know, Was she super overprotective? Yeah. Yeah. Overprotective. Yes. Um, is she still alive? She is. How do, you, do you get along? Bit. You get along good with her? Yeah. Now. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, we, we had our rough patches for sure. And I think, you know, she, she has a hard time or had a hard time with, with separation. I think part, you know, she had a lot of trauma and tragedy when she was younger. And I think that experience, explains right she always catastrophized everything because for her there were lots mm. of catastrophes when she was a kid she lost her dad in a gas explosion when she was 15 oh years old right. right went to work one day you know and never came back that kind of shit and her brother died real young i mean there was a whole bunch of stuff but you know it's old school they don't no therapy to deal with that no then she just passed it on to the next generation you know it, it that that presented itself you know the trauma presented itself in ways where she was super strict and overbearing and to us and you know caused a lot of friction and made us want to rebel etc cetera, etc cetera. and meanwhile you're incredibly successful yet separated from the family and she was she like excited for you was she scared was it both both yeah of course i mean i think she you know i think as any parent does i used to i used to say this resentfully that she would live vicariously through me 
But now as a parent, I also understand like, yeah, you're super, you get, of course, like it's so I, magical. I, li- to have I live yeah. through my kids too. too. Of course yes. I, yes. I get it, but she definitely took some, you know, she also, and, and probably because of a lot of the trauma that she experienced and tragedy she experienced, she also kind of was stunted emotionally and professionally. You know, she never like finished college. She, you know, just her life just took turns that she, I think, never really envisioned them taking. She's a very smart woman, but kind of unfulfilled, I feel like, uh, dreams in a way. And so when I started achieving all this stuff when I was a kid, I think she took you know, I understandably some goes beyond pride. It was like some credit for that. And by the way, my parents, I kind of alluded to it already. I mean, they would, they were driving me in and schlepping me into the city of like, and they had a full, they worked, my mom worked nights. She started working nights so that she could take me into the city on auditions. If I had one, if I even had one during the day. Right. So in any event, they obviously gave up a lot. They took some credit. Fine. Did you not like that for a long time? Of course. No, of course. Because, you know, especially when you're like a 19, 20 year old and you're super successful. Yeah. And you're like, this is I did this shit, you know, like, come on. Like, what do you mean? And um, because all you want is autonomy. Right. That you've you've done it because you did do it. Exactly. But nobody does anything by themselves. Exactly. Which I realize now. Yeah. Of course. It's funny. But but at the time you're, you know, obnoxious you know, petulant 19 year old who's like, yeah, I deserve all this. Life's been so fucking hard. I'm like, <laughs> I, look, I look back, I'm like, man, I had it fucking easy. Of course, you yeah. weren't making wallets in China. Exactly. So when did you have your first drink or first drug? So it was when I was still living at home. It was probably, yeah, I'd say it was like my senior year around around there. I was a late bloomer for sure. Again, because my parents, my mom especially, had instilled. I was so afraid. I was literally like afraid to get caught drinking. I was afraid to have alcohol in my breath. And, you know, I was really because, you know, like I had gotten myself with my acting money. I'd gotten a car when I turned 17. Nice car. A Toyota Corolla, but I put fat rims on it. Nice. Um and, uh, but you know, she still wielded this power over me and would take my car away and threaten me like with that, use that as sort of a, 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 a threat that, that she hung over me. But I started to rebel more and more, had a girlfriend, started sneaking out, started, you know, and so the drinking kind of started there, but it was you know, you hear the stories of like, I took my first sip and I was like, oh my God, that's it. Amazing. I finally found it. I found it. I have arrived. I have arrived. And mine was like, oh, okay. I, I, I guess I certainly, I, I, I remember being drunk for the first time and having a blast, but I also fell down a flight of stairs and separated my shoulder. Not good. Uh, Not good. And you can't work in that situation (laughs) either. Exactly. So it was a little like, yeah, I liked it. It was certainly a good escape, but I, I don't know. It, it wasn't one of those like come to it wasn't come to Jesus at that time yet because I was still living in a lot of fear and living at home and really unhappy. And like I was going to at the time when I graduated high school, I had had an agent. I'd been I'd already done lots of things, but I ha- I wasn't really working at the time. It was just like a it was a slow time. And so I was just kind of hanging out and had this girlfriend and was working at the Gap Kids at the Garden State Plaza in Jersey. And I was just kind of miserable, honestly, because I started going to NYU 
for something to quote unquote fall back on, which at what that, was that going to be? Well, that's the thing. I had no idea because all I wanted to do was act. I had decided at that point that that's what I wanted to do. I knew I was good at it. I had tasted success. But at the same time, I had also tasted what happens when you're not working and it's things can, you know, it's crickets. There's time and, there, and, and, and you go, life okay. is happening. Yeah. And right. I also, you know, the whole the irony is I, I started acting essentially to save money for college. And then here I am at college, just totally fucking miserable. And all I want to do is act. But um, I started at NYU because my mom, of course, talked me into staying home, staying home. Uh, I wanted to go to UCLA to go out to LA and she, she didn't even let me apply. I, I was able to pay $50 to get the application, but I, I, uh, she talked me out of even applying. It was a real bummer. I was really still like in her control at the time. And it reminds me of Pink Floyd. Mother, do you think they'll drop <laughs> yes. the bomb? <laughs> yes. It's, yep. You should write a little musical about I your sh- mom. I should. Yes. Oh dude. Be a, be a long musical. <laughs> to, yeah. Um, so you're at NYU. So I'm at NYU. Did you smoke weed? Miserable. When, when, was that a thing? At yet? that point, I had. I think I had tried it a couple times because now my friends are. Uh, that's what it was. So I'm living at home, by the way, still like under my mother's thumb, still having to abide by her rules, even though I'm 18, 19, going to college. It just sucked. It was like here I am, like trying to become a young man with some independence, but not being able to get it. Cause I'm like, you also probably made more money than all of your friends had ever made up to that point. You and were, my you, parents. Right. And you were super successful yeah. and you were stymied a hundred percent. Okay. And that's it, fucked up. And it was really, it felt really fucked up. And I really was in a, there was a lot of friction with me and my parents at the time. And if you could imagine. And yeah, I was just, it was fucking miserable. And, um, I took a semester off, worked at gap kids, Dated some girl in my town. I was just like, just like struggling. Got an audition. One of the very few that I was getting at the time for this uh, ABC show that was already in production. It was to come in for like the third episode. And this was crazy. I got the phone call. I got a page. I had a pager. Nice. I remember I was working at Kids, and I called my agent. She's like, can you come in like this afternoon? I'm going to fax you the sides. You got to come into the city. I'm like, oh, okay. I got these sides for this ABC Stephen Bochco, if you remember him, Hill Street Blues, sure. NYPD LA Law. Blue, LA Law TV show. And what was the show? It was called Total Security okay. with Jim Belushi and James Remar. I think Jim Belushi sells a lot of weed now. He does. I think that's his whole thing. He went thing. from cigars to weed. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, cool. And I came in for a casting director in the city that afternoon, took the bus in audition for the casting director i guess that was still when they were sending the tapes they had to like put the tape that night on an airplane got to la the next day steven bochco watched the tape it's like i want to see him i flew to la that next day the next day i was on a plane to la on friday now i read for steven bochco in person on the fox lot in los angeles on wednesday i was working at gap kids friday i'm reading for him I leave the audition, get a call from my agent. I got the part. I needed to be back working in my first episode on Monday. Flew home Friday night, packed my bags, flew back out on Sunday. Monday was on the Fox lot as a series regular in a fucking... You're like, I'm free. In an ABC primetime TV show. And this was, is this the first time? I mean, you're 18? I was 19 now. Right. So this is freedom. This, this is, is it. I knew when I got that part 
that I was not coming home, right? The way I presented it to my mother and the way I knew I needed to present it to my mother because I knew that she was not going to be able to separate. I love the, your relationship with your mother. But I, I, it was great. <laughs> it's uh, a lot of material, that's for sure. And if I didn't work as much as I did, I, I'm sure she would have said, we got we to gotta leave. We got to stop this shit. You but know? it's but gig I liked after it. fucking gig. It's, I got a lot of gigs, enough gigs to keep it going. I mean, there were definitely, like I said, there were some serious slow, slow periods, including one where I remember actually only one time I had the conversation with my mother um, where I was like, you know, I think I want to maybe stop this. Maybe I'll revisit when I'm an adult and older. I was like 15 and I had just gotten driven in for another audition, you know, that I didn't get. And I was like, I think I need to like, I just need, cause that was also like struggling with friends in school. I'm like 14, 15 is the beginning of high school. I didn't have a lot of friends because all of middle school, I was on Broadway, but now I hadn't worked in two years, but my social life in school has, is still suffering the consequences from basically being absent for Not all of middle there. school. Yeah. It was just weird. I, I was very uncomfortable, puberty, felt alone. It just sucked. And I was like, I think I need to cut this shit out. And then I had one audition for this soap opera. She was like, an audition came through. Do you want to go on it? And I was like, all right, fine. This is it. Literally, this is it. And, uh, and I got it. And I ended up being on As Well Turns for a year. Got nice. nominated for an Emmy. Wow. I was like, I'm back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and then I didn't work again for three years until the Stephen Boschko show. It's fucked up. Yeah. It's, it's got to be such a, a, a hard, hard business. It is. But it was so good for me because by the time American Pie came around, I had I I didn't take anything for granted, and I literally was I never once and still to this day I'm I'm never like I've that's it this is the one I'm never I'm that's it I'm off this is it well you're here I mean I think I think this I mean, says a lot I mean it, here. it it does but I but like I also have still have stretches where I don't work and I'm luckier than most for sure because financially I've done well and I've been able to save but mentally it's still a challenge challenge you know what i mean i've got it that's why living in new york though too for me is great because i can be active here in a way that i wasn't in la um, so you're 19 you get the job on so steve bochco you have independence you get your car shipped out there i literally get my car shipped out the and, rims are oh, no, nice no, no, in LA. no 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 here's what happened so so we decided to just rent a car I stayed at the oakwood apartments in marina del rey it's like it's a corporate housing kind of thing got a deal through fox you know um, so I'm staying at corporate housing. This is the first time I like have an apartment. You know, I went to the grocery store by myself. These were all you're off. making great money and you're young. And how good does it feel? It felt amazing. Even the money, it wasn't it was just the independence. I had never had the independence that, you know, all of my friends I now had for two years. You know, you're 18, you graduate high school for the most part, at least all my friends did. They went off to college. So my friends were like a two years ahead of me. They would come home over the summer where I was still, you know, living at home and abiding by these strict, crazy rules. Baby and fighting Gap. with, yeah, working at Baby Gap. And they'd come home and they were independent and telling me stories about college and all the fun things they did and the traveling they did and all this stuff. And I'm like, fuck, jealous. And by the way, that was where I think before I went out to LA, that, that was where I started I first smoked weed, so I would go visit my friends at college. Like that would be my one little taste of independence. Was mom going to visit, you know, Joey at uh, at school, and I'd go out and spend a weekend or a night, you know, 
out in Western Pennsylvania or whatever, I'd drive out and that's where I'd be smoking weed and stuff. And was drinking. that a profound <laughs> experience at all? It was. That was like, whoa, this is cool. Because also there was no, that was the first time you do it without the stress of getting in trouble. Anytime I drank in Jersey when I was living at home, I had to go home, had to dodge the parents, had to sneak in, mouthwash, blah, blah, you know, it was all, this was like, go Freedom. out to a frat party. Oh, fuck, you're just drinking and smoking weed on the lawn and there's no fucking stress. Maybe like, a, uh, you know, the, the rent-a-cops or whatever. But like, it was really amazing. <laughs> so then, yeah, so I get this part. I go out to LA. I rent a car at first because it's like, well, we don't know what's going to happen. I had made up my mind. I was like, I'm not going home. If How show, could you? If the show gets canceled, I am gonna, I'm going to stay out here, test the waters. LA was this mythical, like, you know, a place where... You know, the the dream factory. It was the dream factory. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Hollywood. Yep. So I was like, I'm, there's no way. And and sure enough, that's what happened. Basically, you know, the, I did episodes three through 13. And by December, we had finished and it was canceled. And I remember, I'll never forget calling my mom, dreading, nervous as hell, nervous as hell to call my mom and say, you know what? I'm going to stay here. I want to test the waters a little bit. And I called her and she was surprisingly not awful about it. I mean, she was bummed and she tried, you know, being, she was negative and tried sort of saying, are you sure? I mean, clearly you got this part out in LA, like you could get more and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately she understood that I, that LA was this mythical place. I had always wanted to go out there as a kid. And she was, I was like, look, I'm here. I got to try them out for us, you know, for us. We put in all this work and sacrifice all this time. I got to do pilot season out here. So she just thought I'd stay out for pilot season, probably not get anything or get one pilot and then not get picked up. And I'd come home. I think that's what she had always thought. I did get a pilot, got new agents, booked a pilot. The pilot did not get picked up. However, from the time I did the pilot to the time I was waiting to hear if the pilot got picked up, I booked American Pie. Crazy. Yeah. And uh, pre, because American Pie, like, ch it changed the world for you, obviously. But I think it changed the world in a lot of ways. Like, I think it was a really fun, exciting r-rated movie that the world needed mm -hmm. like we needed like you fucking the pie we needed to see shannon elizabeth naked we needed totally. we needed to have that movie because the world it disappeared on us for whatever yep. reason now pre-american pie you you don't do you think when did your alcoholism and drug and drug addiction really hit like when does it become part of your life on a day-to-day -day basis so at that time, I was still, I think because I didn't have, a, you know, when I'm first new to LA, I am underage, so I can't just like go buy beer on my own. I didn't have a fake ID. I also didn't want to chance it, right? I mean, I'm new to LA and I'm work, I want to work, I want to succeed. You're cautious. You, you grew up cautious. in this house exactly. in New Jersey. You're, you're super cautious for everything at this point. Exactly. So yeah, I didn't really have access. I didn't have a lot of friends, but I was talking to a friend that I had made on the set about wanting to stay and needing a place to live. And he's like, you know, I, I dated this girl who has a small two bedroom in West LA. And I was just talking to her and she was saying that she's looking for a new roommate. You should, you know, I'll call her. Maybe you'd go and meet her. So I meet this girl. I end up living there. I rent this room from this girl. She was a few years older. She was maybe 26 or something. I'm 19. She would occasionally buy me beer. 
that was kind of, I would be like, hey, do you mind if you're going to the store? Would you mind picking me? And we had a good thing. She liked me. It was like all good. So that was kind of, um, but still, again, not with any sort of real consistency. I was still underage. It was still hard. And I, I don't remember at that point feeling like I needed to do it, right? I was in, there was enough of a high of being in LA and being independent that that sustained me didn't need to like find the drugs, which was of course where it would eventually go. Was there any, like, I know for me that when I wound up like being full drug addict, it was like, I just needed, I needed to feel differently on a daily basis. And, and my drug, I was a stoner. Like I became this ridiculous stoner in school because mm -hmm. I just, I wanted to control exactly how I felt. And then real drugs came later after I was successful and I wasn't scared of not making it. So that's kind of what I'm getting out of what you're saying. Like you didn't, you didn't make it, make it. So like, how could you risk what you had, but exactly. you were kind of enjoying the, the fruits of your labor here and there and, and, and experiencing it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I still, I still had enough trepidation, I guess, about fucking something up. Of course. You know, being back at home with your mom, being back at home, that was still hanging over me. It was a real threat that I did not want to happen. So that that drove me. And that sort of kept me on a relative straight and narrow, I think, you know, and you weren't a crazy stoner at that point. No, I, I was, I wasn't anything yet at that point, again, just because of access, I was started smoking cigarettes. So I know at that point, I was like, I was a smoker now. And I would look, I would do it if, if I went somewhere. I would obviously drink if I went to any party where I could drink. I, would, I, I never refused anything. <laughs> so if I happened to be somewhere, invited somewhere where I, I was offered something, I would do it in a fucking heartbeat. But I wasn't like, I didn't have a dealer. You know, I didn't have like my own drugs. I would, I would do other people's drugs. But in I that wasn't, period when you're going to hotel, when you're going to parties in Hollywood and stuff, like are there drugs floating around? Yeah, but I'm, it's not even Hollywood parties at this point because I'm still, I'm not like really in Hollywood. It, it's more like, like occasionally, like, it's like, yeah, I'm like my roommate and her, she's like, I'm going to Manhattan Beach. I have an old friend who's got a thing. And I'm like, do you want to come? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know anyone. What's Manhattan Beach? Right. And I would like drive down and just be like this party at some surf shack in Manhattan Beach with some like guy and there'd be, you know, some weed and I'd be like, yeah, I'll take some, thanks. That kind of shit. It wasn't like I was going to these major parties in the hills. I mean, I was still like low level, entry level, shitty apartment in West LA, Hollywood. I was not exposed really. Also, just that crew of actors who's in all these movies. I'm yeah. sure it's like once you get in, it's like my life will be different. I will be one of them. Exactly. I won't be me anymore. I'll be like that. Exactly. A hundred percent. And I'm getting close on a lot of shit. A lot of shit. And... I'll never forget when the script for American Pie came. It wasn't called American Pie. It was called... This is my favorite thing. This is the best. It's brilliant. It makes me want to write a movie. Right? Yeah. It was called Untitled Teenage Sex Comedy that studios will probably hate, but we think you will love that can be made for under $10 million. Don't you love that? That was the working title, registered with the WGA. When I heard that... I heard I heard you talking about it somewhere, and yeah. I was like, "Man, that's how you sell a movie." I literally the first page. I'm like, "That is fucking awesome! What is this?" And right away, first scene, first page, dudes masturbating on the bed, right, watching scrambled porn, gets caught by his parents. I'm like, 
this highly is, relatable. But <laughs> yes, this I get. Yes. <laughs> but I but I was like, this is not like any of these other scripts I've read. This is fucking different. And of course, it just, you know, the whole script. I just remember reading it on my shitty little futon that I never pulled out because I was too lazy to like pull it out into the bed position. I just slept on it every night in like the couch position in this tiny room in this tiny apartment in West LA. I remember laying on this on this futon, reading the script, laughing out loud, finishing it, calling my manager and going, I this I need to get this. Well, as an actor, when you read a script normally, is it like, do you know, like, is, is every script like, I need to be this guy in the script? Or is it, or is it rare? Yes. Uh, oh, no. It, it, in, ge- in general, that's, that's rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, um, I, I would say it's, it's rare. The, the reason I gave pause there is I was just thinking about, you know, init- at this period when I'm reading scripts, if, by the way, that's if, if I even got the whole script. I mean, there were times I was just getting like the sides or just getting pages and whatever. And you were just told what character you there was no. Oh, I relate to this guy. Oh, I want to be this guy. It was here's the character you're coming to audition for. And you'd be like, OK. And so even if it felt a little, you know, uh, square peg round hole, you still didn't matter. You made it work. Yeah, I'm like, I'm going to go for it. OK, I got to go for it. Got to memorize it. Got to go in. I'm going to do all that I can in my control and fucking go in there and kill it or try to kill it, you know, even if it doesn't feel necessarily organic and and right to me. It didn't matter. You were told you showed up, you know. But that script, I remember, yes, reading that, reading and reading the Jim character and saying this, I am this guy. Like this is, I need to, this has to happen. And because it was so fucking funny and so much better than everything else I had read, I was like, this would be incredible. If if all these movies I'm reading for, I would have been psyched on any of them, obviously, but I this would really be great if I can fucking get this one. It suited you and like... But it wasn't easy. Bro, I auditioned for it, killed the audition with the casting director, went back, read for the directors, killed it again. And then I was, and then it was like a long waiting game where every, apparently I was told, I was told that like, my auditions were great. Everyone loved me. The directors loved me and wanted me. Um, but the studio was still unsure if they wanted to cast unknowns. They are still thinking about some names. And so the person, I think I've talked about this, the person that they had wanted for my role was Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yes. From the Home Improvement show. Yes. And I just remember, and it was, it, in hindsight, man, maybe it was like a month Maybe, maybe a month and a half, it felt like an eternity where I heard that they loved me and wanted me, the directors did, but that the studio needed to sort of figure their shit out and that Jonathan Taylor Thomas actually has the offer and is so maybe considering. If he had wanted it, it, it would have been I, It was my understanding that they had approached him. Maybe there wasn't an official offer, but, you know, they send it. Now I know it's like you get sent scripts just without an official offer necessarily. They'll go, if you want it, we'll give you an official offer kind of a thing, like to sort of test rather than go through the motions of give putting a money offer on the table. They'll just be like, is this something you'd be interested in? And so I think that's maybe where it was. Did you meet him? I never met him. Do you never I know, like, what love, the fuck? You know? I would love to talk to him. See, I that would be, I think that would be a really interesting podcast. That'd be a great like podcast. Like people who get parts and the people who could have had they, them, right, yeah. they sit down and talk about what, what could have been. That's Why funny. are you so stupid, it's JTT? A good, it's, a great, it's a great idea. It is a great idea. But I remember, you know, my manager's talking to me and 
you know, trying to make me feel better and, you know, like, oh, he's probably not going to do it or maybe, you know, he's not right for it or blah, blah, blah. But, and I remember during that stretch, my manager did a really smart thing and set me up on a general meeting with the studio executive at Universal who was overseeing the movie. He's like, you need to go in and you need to just be your charming self and be in her face and show her that you're this character. You're the guy. That you're the guy. So let's set this up. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'd never had a manager before. I only had agents. And this was like an extra something that I wasn't sort of accustomed to. I was like, that's a fucking great idea. Great. Yeah, let me go in. And I went in and just schmoozed and did my thing. And we totally hit it off. I sent her flowers after her afterwards, thanking her. Again, my manager did that. I was like, I don't know. I've never sent flowers to anyone. And, uh, you know, and we know what happened ultimately. And so, yeah, dude, so that, so, so now I remember, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I do remember bringing the, I got a VHS copy of the movie, an advanced cut of the movie around. So we shot it in the summer and it came out the following summer, shot it in summer of 98, came out summer of 99. That Christmas in the middle there, I had gotten an advanced cut on VHS and I came home to Jersey with it and showed my parents, showed my friends, showed everyone. My parents, I couldn't sit in the same room with them. Of course. So they, I'll never forget, they popped it in upstairs in the, in the VCR and I was downstairs in like my childhood bedroom. Did you give them the tape and were like, I can't watch this with you? Yeah, I was like, I don't think I can, I, I'm nervous, whatever it was. I was just like, you guys go ahead, you guys go ahead. I mean, it. I couldn't watch like a, a kissing scene in front of my parents, let alone a scene right? that you're in I'm, with nudity and exactly, everything. Exactly, yeah, 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 I couldn't imagine. Yeah, so I, I went downstairs, but I remember hearing them laugh a lot. Nice. They were cracking up. And I was like, okay, that's cool. That's awesome. That's cool. Especially my dad. My dad, my dad has a great sense of humor. I mean, they both have good senses of humor, but my dad is particularly funny and has a very and that's his kind of movie. He loves raunchy comedies. That's it. Porky's is his favorite. I mean, that's that's my dad. I think American Pie is much better than Porky's. I agree, but I'm just telling you, like, that's my dad's right, flavor. Right, right. So to hear him cracking up was particularly uh rewarding. Right. I also took the tape home to my friends who now at this point were like, oh, yeah, you did a movie on L.A. OK, cool. It's you know, will it ever come out? Based? I'm like, guys, I have a copy of the movie. Wow. And it was Christmas break. So all my friends were home from college. This would have been my like uh, everyone's junior year of college, I guess. They were all home for Christmas. It's like 19. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 1920. Exactly. 20. So we all go to my friend Eric Summer Baking's house. We would, that's where we would go. He had a big basement. We would go in a big screen and that's where we would watch the, we would watch stuff. So we went there and I was so nervous because this time I couldn't be like, I'm going to go in the other room, guys. That was just weird. So like I did watch it with them, but I was really nervous. Um, Were they going to like give me shit? Was it, were they going to really laugh? Was it, were they not going to find it funny? Were they going to be like, what the fuck, man? This is porn. Like, what are you doing? Like, I just did not know how it was going to be received. And they started laughing pretty much right away. But really, the pie scene was the one that I was really nervous about. You know, how were they going to react to that? They'd already been laughing up to that point and seemingly enjoying it. But that was what I was really nervous about. And... I'll never forget, like, 
that first shot of me fucking the pie. Yeah. They, there was a pause. They all like their mouths dropped and then together just started cracking the fuck up. My one friend in particular, Matt and Janito, had this crazy bellow of a less huge laugh and was just lost it, lost it. I remember thinking right then, first of all, I was relieved. I just had a huge sense of relief that I got the, you appro- didn't make the a approval of that. I didn't make a fool right. of myself and I got my friend's approval. But I was like, this movie is going to be big. Like, this movie is going to be fucking big. Um, I mean, that was the audience. That was literally the audience. For them, was it like watching, was there any kind of feeling like they were watching themselves hanging out with you, like that group of friends? Was that, was that a thing? Because obviously you're not the, the character in the movie and they're not the kids in the movie, but it's a group of friends it's a group of who friends. are tight, who are nice to each other. A little bit, yeah. We had, you know, we call it, we call ourselves like the crew. There was a g- group of guys that were, that were pretty tight. It was a little bigger, but I think there was a semblance there was a sense of watching ourselves a, a little bit for sure. I think, you know, it was Midwest. It was different. It was a little bit more certainly upper class. You know, we're like lower middle class, blue collar, New Jersey. Sure. It's a different sort of vibe than than that. But in the sense of, yeah, buddies trying to, you know, graduating high school and trying to get laid. It's like, yeah, we were all, that was us for sure. I mean. That's what made the movie, I think, sort of so relatable. That's why it hit, it hit yeah, so hard. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, when I, when I, before I, backing up just a little, before I filmed the movie, I had like a month after I knew I had the part, contract was signed. I was like, holy shit, I'm going to. And I remember I came home for a few weeks to just hang. It was summer. I was going to hang with my Jersey friends and stuff. That's when I was telling them, yeah, I got this part. They're like, okay. I was hanging. And I remember I was actually smoking weed with my friends here in Jersey. Cause now one of my friends in particular had gone off to college and become a huge stoner. So he would like come back with weed and we were smoking a bunch. And I remember getting a call from my manager's assistant out in LA saying, uh, when you come back, you have to do a cast physical. You have to do a physical for the insurance, for the movie. And this is my first time doing a physical for a job. And I freaked the fuck out. I think I was literally like stoned when my manager called me. You're worried like that the weed would come up in the test exactly. and all that. Exactly. You're not gonna get the job. Exactly. Because you're smoking weed. Exactly, yeah. bro. I'm like, is there a fucking drug test? And my manager's assistant was also really young and new and didn't have the answer. So he's like, I don't know. So now that just made me more. I'm like, oh my god, fuck, dude. Like, yeah, I blew I'm, it. I'm I blew it. Weed. And, my, and I was so fucking nervous. It was literally like, I w- it was a couple days. And you're stoned. So you're so stoned, paranoid. Paranoid yeah, yeah, yeah. and so freaked the fuck out that I blew blew it. Because I came home to Jersey, smoked weed with my fucking friends, and now I'm going to fucking blow it. And I remember <laughs> my manager at the time repped. Uh, I think I could say this. He's he's uh, one of us and, and out with it. Um, my manager repped Jason Bateman at the time. Okay. And my manager's assistant called Bateman. To find out. To find out. (laughs) And Bateman was like, no, there's no weed. He's fine. It's all good. And my manager's assistant called me back. He's like, I just spoke to Bateman. You're totally good. I was like, fuck yeah, dude. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, And I actually told, I I saw Bateman years later and I told him that story. He was like, yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) That's funny. I'm sure he loved that. Yeah. So anyway, so on that trip when I was home as well, I came into my agent's office in the city. Um, Because my agent was still like 
had a New York and an LA, right? So I go into the New York office and I go to see my agent and on her desk is a picture of Eddie K. Thomas. This Eddie K. Thomas is a kid that I had been auditioning with since we were five, six. He's a little younger than me, so whatever. We were young. Sure. We would see each other on auditions all the time, never really talk or hang out. He was actually an extra in a scene of mine on As the World Turns. But he was one of these city kids and he went to professional children's school. So he had his like group of city kids that were very cool and they would hang out. And I would come in from Jersey and see them. And then I'd like say bye and get in my mom's minivan and drive back to Jersey and never hang out with them, right? Always thought they were like the cool kids in the city. And so I see his picture on my agent's desk and I go, oh, Eddie, I know that dude. Seen him for years. Um, I didn't realize you represented him. She's like, yeah, he's actually going to be in your movie. I was like, what? It's like, yeah, he's playing Finch. I go, get the fuck out. That's crazy. So a week or two later, when I'm back in LA for the table read, walk into the table read, go right up to Eddie. We like kind of, we're like, what's up, dude? What's up, man? You, we, you know, it's been 15 years at this point. We've been seeing each other's faces. And uh, we just kind of shook hands. We were best friends from that point. So during the filming of the movie, he and I became super tight and still are. But we also, you know, Chris Klein, Sean Scott, we all be, we, we just had this fucking, we had a blast doing the movie and we would definitely get fucked up. Like we would go out and, you know, we'd, we'd get drinks somehow or someone would buy us beer or whatever it was. We were, we were partying. They were staying at the, I had, I now had this apartment, but Eddie was staying at the Oakwoods <laughs> and so was Chris. So we would go to the Oakwoods after set and we would smoke weed during and the production, during the, the production. Time. Yeah. During the production. So wasn't like every night or every day. I'm sure that contributed to the chemistry in the movie. Though. For sure. Yeah. No, we were, we had a blast on and off the set for sure. It was a lot of fun. We were laughing constantly, constantly. So it's the, for sure. One of the best experiences of my life. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's, and it's awesome to be able to be, you know, how, what are you? 44. Yeah. Exactly. To look back and be like, this was such a magical thing. Yep. I love that. And like, how often when you're walking on the street, are people like, what's up with the pie in New York now? 40, um, you know, 20 a, years later. Saying specifically yes, that? Yes. A little bit. It's not. Um, it's not like that. It's not crazy like that. It definitely still happens. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't happen as frequently as it used to. I mean, it used to be, yeah, it used to be all the time. I mean, now I also feel like I've done enough other things. Granted, none of them compared to the exposure I had with American pie or what people know me, but still there's, I feel like there's enough of like, I get more like, Oh, what's up, dude? Oh, you're that guy. Oh, bigs. People know my name now. Right. So it'll be, you know, and less like, Hey, what's up with the pie? I mean, also it's who I hang out with. Right. Like when I, when the movie came out, I was, hanging out with young dudes in bars with young frat dudes and college age kids. Cause that's what I was. Well, it was a very, it's also just, it was a very exciting concept. The idea that you could fuck a pie and it would be like fucking a person. Right. Like that was a really <laughs> mind blowing concept. <laughs> totally. So like it, it, it was like visually a kid fucking a pie is funny, whatever. When, when Eugene Levy says that, yeah. you're like, wait a second. Yep. So like, my question is like, how many people have come up to you that actually did it? Oh, you know, n- not a lot. It's su- surprisingly, <laughs> I have, I, I don't know if maybe they just don't want to admit. I feel like if, you, if you've done it and you see me, you, you kind of have to admit, you have to, you have to yeah. fess up, right? Yeah, you have to so. kind of go, oh, I, by the way, I tried it. 
I haven't heard that very often, although I, I do remember right after the movie came out, like weeks after the movie came out, there was an article about a guy in Idaho <laughs> who got third degree burns on his dick from fucking a pie. Bro, got to wait for it to cool off first, man. Come on. He wanted that warm feeling because it's very poetic when he, yeah. when he mentions it. But warm, not hot, dude. No, but warm. that's sad. That's sad for that kid. <laughs> I, feel, I, feel, I feel sad. But so like your movie does beyond what it should do like yep. i mean it's like it's it's iconic you know it is yep. an iconic 90s movie it it tells i mean when you talk about the webcam thing that's important to the movie it's part of its cultural significance it's a change in the way young people lived yeah and operated. oh it's a real time capsule 100 yeah but so like you're famous now like what changes yeah, so loss of anonymity, obviously, first and foremost. Um, you know, that was a, that was kind of a trip. I had gotten small taste of it um, when I was a kid. I did this TV show for one season on Fox, but it was like a, uh, it was on after the Simpsons, after the Simpsons, before nine hundred two one zero for one season. So it got some eyeballs what on it, that? and it was like my age kids that watched it. It was called Drexel's yes, class yes, with yes, Dabney Coleman. Yes. So I would like, I go, remember that. I would like go to the mall and you know, a kid, some kids would come up to me or I like, I remember going to like my friend's football game, like my eighth, the eighth grade football game and the cheerleaders on the other team all freaking out. So like I got a little tiny taste of, of it, you know, how good but was it the, then? It was amazing. Right. But it was also weird. It was also bittersweet because I also, that show was canceled very quickly. And so, and I would like, it was still airing after it got canceled. So I think some of the times I got recognized, it was, I already knew the show had failed and I was back. It was done. It was, so it was like this, oh, i am got a little taste of fame and I'm getting this attention, but also I'm just going back to school on Monday and I have no job and whatever, you know? Um, again, saw the ups and downs. I think it really was great for me to have this, the little taste of success. Um, cause you knew it could be fleeting a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So now, when granted this was different. American pie was for sure different, but I still just never, I, I just al never allowed myself, I think to fully just always had, not that I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. I wouldn't say I was like that cynical or negative about it. I was realistic about it. Like, this is fucking life-changing. I'm going to work a lot now and hopefully have a real career that lasts into my adulthood. But I also was never like, I don't know. I just kept a sort of level head about it all. I like to think. Was the fame uncomfortable at that point? Because you I probably were a yeah, kid. It wasn't uncomfortable, actually. I, I wouldn't say it was uncomfortable. Um, there were inter specific interactions that felt uncomfortable. Like I said, I'd be at a bar and some f drunk frat guy would be like, yo, man, yo, what the fuck? And they, they'd be jealous or pissed or, you know, their girlfriend wanted to come talk to me, whatever right. the fuck it was. Right. And I'd, you know, it'd be scary and weird or whatever. People would say stupid shit or, yo, do, do the dance, do the dance. I'm like, I'm not doing the dance, bro. Come on, do the fucking dance. What are you, too big for me? What are you, Hollywood? Fuck you, man. I'm like, okay, you know what? This, so there'd be things like that, but isolated in general, the fame was incredibly rewarding because at this point, again, I'd already been working almost 20 years. Right. And I had wanted it so bad. And like here I, it was. And here it was. Thank God. This was the, the being recognized was a direct 
reflection and consequence of me having finally achieved some super real success in the in an industry that I've been trying to achieve super real success in for almost 20 years. So not to mention your mom, you know, like yeah. that, that's a lot to, to deal with yeah. and, and to, and to hit it. Yeah. It's like when you said before you were like, I fucking paid some dues for this. You did. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's like, you can say, I, I, I was too entitled, whatever, whatever, but you did pay dues. You were, you had worked in the business 15 years. You had a, you, you had a, a, a not everything went your way and yeah. here was something going your way. Um, when we first started talking about Los Angeles, your first response was you were isolated there. Yeah. So when did the isolation kick in following the stratospheric success? So I went, not right away, not right away. I, the I, ride must have been incredible. The ride was incredible. Um, I also was incredibly busy, you know, because of the success of the movie. I got a lot of gigs. I they were all over the world. I was traveling the world. I was filming in far-flung locations, and I was, you know, traveling for press trips. And, and, and also my social circle expanded. At this point, I'm meeting a lot of people. Ended up meeting some of my best friends in L.A., who are, some of whom are still some of my best friends today. But I really kind of started traveling in a crew of, of guys and, and, and girls, but basically really developed a, a, a fun social crew who loved to party and travel and had some money as well. And, and so it was a few years of real, just fucking fun, man. Again, the, the partying and the, the drug use and alcohol use in kept increasing, but you know, I was doing it with the crew and it didn't start cataclysmically. Right. Exactly. And it, and it, and it all, and there was no real consequences, right? Like my career was going up. I was getting paid more and more. I was partying more and more, but it's to be expected, right? It's like, oh, I'm good. I'm showing up for work. I wasn't partying on set, or at least not while I was on the clock. You know, I was like, I had it all together, but I was definitely partying more and more and more and looking forward to the partying more and more. But I, but, but I was also so happy to have friends. Like I had had friends in Jersey, like I said, these, these friends, but I had a hard time making them. And it didn't really happen until sort of the latter half of high school. And then you know, they went off to college and I, it, 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 um, when's the first time somebody puts Coke in your face? So the first time I did Coke. So after we shot American pie, but before it came out, my, uh, my good buddy who had become my, he actually lived downstairs, the apartment below me, that first apartment I lived with that girl, that month to month apartment. He was my downstairs neighbor. He and I started hanging out. He smoked tons of weed. We smoked tons of weed together. He talked about Coke. He's like, oh, yeah, I've done it. It's so much fun. Da, da, da. I was like, oh, that sounds fine. I'm gonna, I'll try it, you know? And I just remember one night we were going to go out to some bar. And uh, he's like, yo, I have a hookup. I'm going to get some Coke. Do you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, dude. Let's fucking, yeah, let's try it. And he got it. And it was the best. Remember doing some lines. I think we did it. I think we, you know, drove to the dealer. He came back in the car. We did some key bumps in the car. And then drove to this bar and I was just like, this is the fucking shit. It's funny. It, at the bar, I actually ran into 
Allison Hannigan, who played Michelle. Sure. Right? So we had just shot American Pie, and I'm now high as a kite. First time I'm doing coke, I run into Allison. And we never really hung out socially outside of the movie, but here I am, like... You're, like, famous on coke. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> well, the movie hadn't come out yet. But you feel but that it, yeah, 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 totally, totally. Yeah. And I'm, like, with Allison, and I'm, like... I didn't tell her I was on coke, because I was also a little, like, nervous. to. Be, I didn't want to, you know... But um, but I loved it. And so from that point, we started incorporating that more and more into, you know, our partying. And then it just became a totally regular thing. And then before I knew it, I had a dealer in L.A. And, you know, and and also whenever we would travel, the first thing we would do when we landed somewhere was get Coke, get pills, get, you know, what weed. kind of pills. So we did. this was, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. So tons of ecstasy. Was it good? I mean, I can imagine you got really good ecstasy. Great. ecstasy. How often were you on ecstasy? Pretty often, actually. Like your almost every weekend. Like your brain seems like it's functioning pretty good. <laughs> so it's like it must we have been pretty good. We did a ton good. of ecstasy. We actually did a ton of ecstasy. In fact, for a while, it was sort of the drug of choice, even more than Coke. Um, we'd end up doing ecstasy and then doing Coke. Ecstasy is a much more it. fun much more fun drug than Coke. Yeah, because we so were also... Is that, what, what's candy flipping? Candy flipping is ecstasy and acid. How oh, do you know interesting. That? that I don't know. I never did acid. You've ne okay, never. Okay, I've got some doses. Acid. You want to try right sure, now? Sure. Fuck it. No. Um, um, yeah, dude. I we I we would do ecstasy. We would do coke on ecstasy. We would drink on ecstasy. We would smoke weed on ecstasy. But I never did acid on ecstasy. But ecstasy was super big at the time, and we had a hookup. Now I think Molly is just MDMA, right? That's is what they it, say. That's what they I say. think it's all bullshit. So at the time, it was ecstasy was mixed with a bunch of other shit. They would say it was like, oh, there was some heroin, there was some coke, there was some dill, there was all kinds of shit. But we also had this one guy who got us pure MDMA from where? From Northern California. And we would get them shipped down to us. Pills. Pills. And they were actually the kind of, you know, most ecstasy pills were, you know, pressed pills that, you know, dissolved. Um, this dude's ecstasy or MDMA was the little, was the pills you could pop open, you know, like Adderall. You pop them open and you just down the, the, the powder inside. But dude, I also remember this was when, this was when things started. And certainly in hindsight, some red flags started happening. I remember doing, like, I would do ecstasy by myself and not tell anyone. Be, I remember going on a ski trip with, a, I only knew one person on the ski trip, and he invited me to go with, like, a bunch of his college friends. And I was like, I just started snowboarding. And I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll go. I've got some dough. I can do it. It was like, right, I think right before the movie was going to come out, American Pie. But I had some cash, and I was like, yeah, dude, let's go snowboarding. Fuck it. And I had these pills, and I took them with me. And, I, and by the way, this was in Canada. So I crossed the, you know, flew to Canada with a bunch of ecstasy pills. Where and, did you keep the pills? That's a good question. I'm trying to think at the time. Eventually, I started like just putting them in my prescribed meds, but I wasn't on anything at the time prescribed. I don't, I don't know. I remember with joints, what I would use, I always wore hats and I would roll joints and put them in the, underneath the little flip in the inside of the hat. I would yeah. do that. Or if I, oh, you know where? I probably put them in my cigarette case. So I would like empty the tobacco from a thing and then shove the pills up the, you know, thing. I would do that with weed too. Just have a bunch of the cigarettes were just with weed and that kind of thing. I think that's what I did. But anyway, I remember landing in Vancouver and it was like a two hour drive to Whistler. And I'm in the car with people I've never met. And I take an ecstasy pill and I start tripping balls on this ride, this hour and a half ride through the mountains up into beautiful, up into Whistler tripping my face off and we get to this big house and I'm tripping and I I kind of at this point had 
det- it was a group of like 12 people and you know you know as a fucking user you can figure out very who's quickly who? who's down and i started talking to these two and and i was like you guys you guys party they're like, well, yeah, sure. What's up? I was like, I'm tripping my face off right now. <laughs> do you, do you want to trip with me? They were like, fuck yeah. What do you mean? What? I was like, yeah, here. And then I did another one. And we ended up partying all that first night. But like, it's interesting. You just know. But again, ecstasy by myself. I love that. How, how often do you think you took ecstasy alone? Uh, a handful. Not like a ton. It's a weird drug to do alone. It's definitely a weird fucking drug to I, do alone. I had an apartment. And I've talked about it on the show on 24th Street. And there were these drug dealers that paid me to keep a safe in my apartment. And they would sell coke and ecstasy. So I had a lot of ecstasy. And I remember tripping ecstasy alone. And and I think I was shooting coke at the same time. Uh-huh. But I was alone. Yeah. And it's it's such a weird drug to be on your by yourself yeah. for. Yeah. Because it, it's meant to be with people. It's a social drug, it, no it, doubt. It's supposed to be bonding you to people. And yep. it's like to take it alone, that is a red flag. <clears throat> uh, yeah. And nobody would have ever thought in a million years that Jason Jason Biggs is fucking tripping ecstasy, Taking by, ecstasy by, himself. by himself. So what's another, like, so, and you're traveling. So, yeah, another, another uh, uh, for some reason, this sticks in my, in my memory. I remember, so American Pie comes out, it's a big success, and I start booking these movies right after American Pie. And I did a, those first like two three years i just worked nonstop. and one of the first things i did after american pie came out or whatever a couple months after was saving silverman sure and i shot i think that- they showed it on hbo every day great I, you know we were it's funny sidebar i was talking to someone about that the other day i used to get a lot of oh dude i was flipping and saw your movie you know saw loser saw saving silverman saving silverman a big one right yeah. i was flipping and i saw it that doesn't really happen anymore. No one flips. You have to have intent to watch something. I still flip. You do? I don't flip. I look at the guide and if I see something- You'll pop on I'll it. Pop. I like, I, I love clicking. Most people now, when you sit down to watch TV, you're sitting down, you have, you with intent to watch something. I mean, Netflix does a good job of like throwing a bunch of shit before you and you kind of get to scroll and, and choose and you can randomly fall on stuff, but- Gone are the days, I feel like, for the most part. Like, I used to get it all the time, particularly with Saving Silverman. Like, oh, dude, it was on USA the other day. I watched I had to stop and watch it. It was so good, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't happen anymore, but whatever. Anyway, I remember Saving Silverman was going to shoot up in Vancouver, and they got me this apartment. And the first I landed, go to the apartment, I think my first obligation is the next day, maybe, for a costume fitting. But it's going to be a couple of days of rehearsal. It's chill. So I had this first day to sort of hang and get set up. And I remember the first thing I did was I went, now I'm 21. I tur- By the way, I turned 21 right before American Pie came out. The timing was immaculate. Yeah, it, was it really like, was. It was really perfect. So I'm 21 years old and I'm up in Vancouver, which didn't matter, I guess, anyway, because it's 18 up there. But I go to the liquor store and I literally got a shopping cart. You know, it wasn't like I went into the liquor store and I was like, oh, I'm going to get a six pack and a bottle. It was like they had little shopping carts. I was like, oh, that's cool. Let's see what I can get. <laughs> I can little fi- schnapps. I can fill this up on <laughs> right. my, my own. I've got to have stuff in the apartment so that I have them prepared. You know, who knows what I'm going to want to drink? And uh, I just remember getting a ton of shit and putting it up in my apartment, being so proud of it. But I remember that was the first time I was aware of drinking by myself and, and liking it, like wanting to do it. You know, coming home from set, and pouring myself a glass 
of whiskey, you know, p- pouring in a, you know, couple fingers of makers and sitting down and watching something on TV. I also got weed. I would find weed. So I would like smoke a joint. And I thought well, it was Vancouver so- was like a big, weed, big he- weed scene. Totally. And I remember just thinking, this is so awesome. But I was all, but it was, you know, it was by myself, a lot of it. But again, I just thought it was like, oh, it was very adult. I'm 21 now. I'm making money. I can hang. I can da 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 da. I can trip ecstasy on my own if I want. <laughs> yes, I, I can do yes. that. Actually, I remember coming home to LA at one point during the filming of that movie, getting some pills from my buddy, going back up to Vancouver, and mentioning to um, I mentioned to Steve Zahn that I had some ecstasy, and I was like, "Oh, you want to do them?" He's like, "All right, sure." And we take these pills, and um, we were literally out for like two, three hours waiting for the pills to hit and nothing was happening. And he's like, it's bullshit, dude. What the fuck? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. This, I swear I've taken these pills before. In fact, I just took one the other day. Uh, they work. I swear. Maybe these two were bunk that we, ah, I'm so, so fuck. Weird. I felt so bad. I was like, I'm sorry, bro. It was late. We were tired. We literally, we were tired. We we're like, fuck, I guess I'm like going to go home and go to bed. And we go back to our respective rooms in the apartment hotel place. And I remember I was brushing my teeth and I like, all of a sudden I kind of stop and I look up in the mirror and I look at my face. Your and eyes like, are huge. And my eyes are fucking saucers. <laughs> right. And I was like, holy shit. As soon as I looked at myself and was like, oh my God, my phone rings. It's Steve. <laughs> it's Steve. And he's like, dude, are you? I'm like, yeah, dude. If I... We ended up just going, having a night in Vancouver. So random. But again, fun. I'm like, I'm not seeing, I'm like, that's fine. That's what I do. It's what we do. Um, so in that period, like, cause I mean, I remember when I, again, my, my story is not really comparable except that I was making enough money to support myself doing something that I enjoyed. And then I started doing a lot of drugs in the situation and it didn't seem like it that I was doing the drugs to medicate something. It seemed like I was doing the drugs because I wanted to, Yeah, it was fun, you know? So like, how is the scope changing? You're drinking alone. You're doing ecstasy alone. I'm sure you're smoking butt alone. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's like, but at the same time, like, I don't hear stories about you being this horrible junkie fucking nightmare. So like, what's the difference between where you're at and where somebody who's using normally is at, at that point? I guess it's in the mind. I guess it started, you know, I started obsessing about it. You know, it was sometime around, uh, I guess around there. At first I thought, okay, this is normal stuff. I'm, I'm doing it to have fun. I'm all my friends are doing it. I'm it's I've got money. I'm not jeopardizing my life or career or anything. But I started just not being able to think about other stuff. There was somewhere in there where it switched for me where I would wake up and just be so excited to do the drug or to drink and sort of trying to figure out, I started planning my days around it. When could I, when would I be finished with my meet? If I wasn't working on a set, it would be, all right, what do I have today? Oh, I have an audition at three. Fuck. I can't drink till four. You know, like, you know, I would be responsible, but I, all I would think about, I'd be psyched if I had something earlier in the day and then nothing afterwards. Cause then I could get that done. Boom. I could go hit the bottle. You know, that started to happen after a couple years, you know, like into my sort of journey. It started to switch from, oh, I'm just partying and having fun and I got money and girls and you got to do coke. And how do I stay up and go to the club without it? And to like, oh, when am I going to be able to do this? You know, you know, and 
And I just realized that I never, there wasn't a day that went by where I didn't party. Right. And you're in your, I mean, just, you just said it, you're 21 when American Pie comes out and it's like the, the money, the prestige and, and the access to more, and you have the genetic predisposition to yeah. do it. Yep. So like, what are like, cause you man, you managed to use pretty like without consequences for a long time. Yeah. Like what was, uh, give us some more of, of like the, the great highlights of using in your twenties as a famous <laughs> rich actor before the consequences, before, before the, before, consequences. before, the, before, us, the yeah. before it got really ugly, before yeah. the ugliness, yeah. give me it, some of the good times. Some, some of the more. good times. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, I would kill myself. If I didn't, if no, I didn't listen, I hear fuck man, I get it. I mean, you're in our month, our unmovie star equipped <laughs> dad's apartment. <laughs> Um, look, if I was in a proper movie star setting, You'd really I could, I could tell you the You'd movie star. I could tell you the movie yeah. star stories, right. but because I got to tell you the dad stories since I'm in your Fuck. dad's apartment. Um, look, man, there were girls. There were there was lines off of girls. There was, you know, there was. You ever do math in that period? I did, I, I think I did one night, but you by thought it was accident. Code? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but didn't go after it. You know, never really got. I think I got offered it once and was like, ah, I'm good. I think it was maybe the one time I turned something down was because I also had Coke in the other pile. Like it wasn't, you know what I mean? If there was no Coke there, I might have given a different answer. Um, Benzos? Loved Benzos. Me too. Loved opiates. Loved, what opiates? What's interesting is because this was still like early days of like, uh, it's when, you know. Oxys. Yeah. Or um, I remember doing Vicodin. I separated my shoulder. Well, I told you, I separated my shoulder the first time I ever got drunk. But then I had a really bad shoulder thing snowboarding one time, and I got Vicodins for it. And I was like, this is fucking cool. Right. What the fuck is this feeling? You know, that's the first time I was really, like, aware. And my wisdom teeth, I got pulled, at this, like, around the same time. So I remember I had, like, Vikes for a while and was like, this is fucking dope. But they weren't, it wasn't like a, as much of a party drug. You, you didn't go out to the, people were like handing out Vikes. It was no. still like ecstasy, Coke. Because opiates are very sleepy. They're, opiates yeah, are very, no, let's totally. stay home and do opiates. Totally, totally. Although, uh, what was my one buddy like to do, uh, what do you call it, the uh, hillbilly speedball? It was a Vicodin and a Red Bull <laughs> right, <laughs> or something. Right, um, So he, he, we would do those, but no offense to hillbillies. Yeah, dude, I mean, honestly, uh, the, uh, the, all the stuff. I mean, there were tons of girls. There was tons of coke. There was tons of big Hollywood parties in the hills all night long. There were after hours places. There were. Was there ever heroin? So that's the thing. There was never heroin. That's good. You know, and it's good that you didn't get. Did you get addicted to Vicodins or Percocets or Oxys or anything? No, I had a little run later in my career, kind of right before the end, uh, before I got sober. Um, when opiates were starting to gain popularity, where a buddy of mine had access and got like a shit ton. He was like, yo, you want to go halves on, you know, whatever it was, a couple hundred pills. And, uh, you know, you want to, you want in? I was like, yeah, yes is the only correct answer. So I had those for a while and it was like, was buddy, it oxys or was it, it was Vicodin? Right. It was Norcos. Okay. It was yeah, Nor people love, yeah, Norcos. People love Norcos. So it was like, you know. 200 norcos and i remember at the end of that i went from you like oh i'll have one to like oh i was having you know 12 a day right whatever more and then by the end of that 100 or 200 going yo do we have uh, access to to a little bit more and i think one more round i did 
And then um, he didn't have the hookup anymore. And I kind of went on from it. I remember not being dope sick, but definitely like, oh, this is a weird fucking feeling. I guess I was doing these for a month or two straight. And now I fucking feel weird. But then I would just drink through. I just drank through it. It was definitely withdrawal. Of course. But I did coke through it. I did. But, you know, I had enough other shit to sort of like not really have to deal where I was like, oh, I need to, what's the next thing? I got to get heroin. Like I never, cause that's what a lot of, that's a lot of the stories I heard was like, yeah, I got hooked on pills and then I ran uh-huh. out or they were too expensive or I couldn't get them. And I fucking went to H and that's where, that's why I'm here now. I didn't have that transition. Thank, Thank fucking God. Cause by the way, I love opiates and Me too. I, and I would have fucking loved heroin. I'll tell you what I'm most grateful for being sober right now is cause I would take any pill that anyone handed me. Because again, there wasn't, if it was ecstasy, great. If it was a painkiller, great. If it was a benzo, great. There weren't really pills floating around that- That you didn't want. That you didn't want, right? right? Like there wasn't a, maybe it just didn't get you high. Maybe it was a fake. Maybe it was a bust, but it didn't hurt you. The fentanyl shit, bro. Like I am so grateful I'm sober now because a hundred percent I would have taken one. And- also, they're mixing it now and like Coke, I hear, like, because I love Coke, yeah, yeah. love Coke, would do anyone's Coke, anyone. I ended up at random fucking, dude, we, that was the, that was sort of the other part. It was like fun, but also dark. I mean, we'd go to like Vegas and then I'd meet some girl at some club and I'd be so fucked up and so high and she, I would think she was cute and she'd be like, yo, I'm going to my friend's house out in like Henderson, you know, or some random suburb of Vegas at three in the morning where they, you know, it's like, cause we had run out of Coke, but or whatever. She's like, oh, we're going to go, we're going to party. And I thought she was cute. So I'd follow her and it ended up some ra- famous, by the way, like me walking into some sketchy fucking house. But I left my in friends, Henderson, Nevada. I left my friends right. at like the Mirage, right. club, like wherever they were, Dre's after hours. And I'd end up and be like, what the fuck am I doing, dude? (laughs) You know, there were a few of those things where it's like, Jesus Christ. But for the most part, man, the partying was fucking fun. Again, tons of Vegas trips. Dude, we got, I mean, the thing is we, we, and the guys that I rolled with, we would, we would never wait it on a line. We got brought bottles. We always had tables everywhere. Girls would come over. They'd bring girls over. You know, like, yeah, I can't even imagine. It was just caught. It was it was what you think it it would be. And it was super fun and we would get super fucked up. But, you know, dude, I also have this during the same time. I mean, there were so many times I couldn't, you know, I'd be like with a girl, like some hot girl and like couldn't get it up. Couldn't too much coke, like too much coke, too much booze, coke, dick, whiskey, dick. It'd be like, oh, that sucks. Right. (laughs) What's the point of this? Why am I here? Even it's like, I guess it's a story that I could. Yeah, but it's not a story. It's a shitty story. Did did your reputation ever go bad in that period? Were you ever one of those people? That- so I don't think I was. And that and yeah. that's and I think I surprised a lot of people, particularly when I would be out and there would be people not in my friend group that would be sort of we'd be hanging with and they would, you know, be like, Oh, do you want, you know, or I would ask for it, be like, Hey, do you mind if I do a bump? And they'd be like, Oh, damn. They didn't expect it from Jason you. Biggs doing some bumps. Okay, right. fucking wild, you know? Because you looked so, like, straight. You looked yeah, so and the nice character, and neat. and the characters right. I played were super straight. And, you know, it definitely took people by surprise, I think. But, you know, as the years went on, I mean, and we kept traveling, like, we would land in a place and I'd be, like, pride myself on being able to find the coke. Sure. Find the drug. Like, I'm going to sort this, you know? Me and there were another buddy of mine, too, that was 
kind of the guy that would handle. But, you know, it was like I was proud of that for a while. I love that. <laughs> I, I loved I loved sniffing shit out yeah. and figuring it out. And but feeling- then like I would do, I did it. I took a trip with not my friend. Like it was a, some charity trip to Uganda okay. in, in East Africa. Yes. To like to go trekking with the mountain gorillas to like for like a char- some charity. Right. And I was like, oh, I got to go on that trip. But we ended up for the first couple of days of the trip, we were in, uh, in yeah, Kampala is the capital city. And um, sketch, dude. And I remember like we drank at the hotel and we were going to do some event later that night. And I was like, I'll be back. I got to go. I'll be back. And I went on this fucking walk through. Oh, no, no, no. It was the uh, it was late, later that night. And it was the next day it was going to be this event. I was like, I got to go find Coke. I literally went through the streets of fucking Kampala by, yourself. by myself at fucking one in the morning, whatever it was, sketch, sketch, dude. Like shit like that. So wait, what happened? I ended up not finding it on the streets. I think I ended up getting pretty spooked at a certain point, turning around, finding my way Did back to the hotel. Did you talk to anybody? No, it, it, um, no, I didn't talk to anybody. I just walked, looked for, I kept, I, there was one point, I remember seeing a group of guys, I was gonna summon up the courage, but they were looking at me super weird. I was like, what the fuck am I doing out here? Ended up back at the hotel, but then met a guy at the hotel the next day before the event. I was like, I'm getting a vibe. I was like, hey, man, do you party? Ooh, whatever. He's like, yeah, why? What are you? Again, surprised that I'm asking. Like, why? Are you an Interpol now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and getting Coke and right. like getting super fucked and high on Coke. And I would also be the guy a lot of times um, that I would be with like a group of people that never, that didn't really party. And I would be like, why don't you party? Come on. And they'd be like, oh, I've never done Coke. But uh, you're doing it. That's weird. Okay. Yeah, sure. I do it. Like I had a lot of, I introduced a lot of people to cocaine. <laughs> That's funny. You know, for better. I mean, at the time it's like, oh, this is cool and fun. But my one friend, my best friend, she ended up getting really hooked on it, ended up dying through some not great circumstances. Um, not a coke overdose, but there was some sort of her parents never told us the results of the autopsy. It's a long story. It's shady and weird and bizarro, but that sort of hung over me a little bit. Like I know that she, Horrible. that, it, that, that the drugs and her, I mean, she was already, again, it's not, she was already partying. She was looking for it. If it wasn't whatever it, but that, that hung over me for a while. Like, Oh, I definitely aided and abetted her sort of downfall and spiral into this not great place. Yeah. Anyway, dude, all right. It just got dark, but no, but I mean, that's the kind of thing that probably, pushes you towards sobriety that was right before i got in fact i had i had just tempted to get sober a couple months before that um and i know she had tried aa and it didn't work and what um, made you want i mean if if everything is besides your friend's death which i'm sorry if everything else is is going pretty well and fun and and no real consequences what made you even consider stopping so there started to be I was starting to see the darker side of it a lot more than the fun side of it. So, you know, it was started to be a lot more of the alone in my room at six in the morning, finishing a bag of Coke while my wife is sleeping in the bedroom, not knowing that I'm in this room doing Coke. Um, It started to be a lot more of that shit and going to bed and waking up the next day and looking over at her, not knowing if she was going to turn over to me and be like, 
you know, I would say, hey, baby. And if she said, hey, baby, back, I'd be like, oh, okay, I didn't fuck it up. Right. And if she was like, ignore me or be like, what the fuck? I'd be like, oh, my God, what did I do? How did I end the night? What I did destroyed I my marriage just destro- cocaine. Yeah, like, what the fuck did I say or do? Because I was also taking sleeping pills. I would do all this coke. I was going to ask how you slept. And then take fucking sleeping pills, two Ambien, like, stupid shit, going to bed. My heart, like, I remember going to bed lots of times. This this was the stuff that really meant, like, I would be laying in bed going, oh, my God, I hope when I fall asleep right now, I fucking wake up. Right. I just did a ton of cocaine and just took fucking probably too much Ambien. And now I'm like, like nothing I could do about it. And I'm still, and then I just, and then I'd wake up the next day and be like, oh my God, thank God. Like that started happening a lot. Like, what the fuck am I doing? And then, you know, and fighting, hiding it from my wife, I would go to social. Anytime I would go out, I would have to drink before I got to the party. I would have to, even if I was hosting the party, I would, you know, be at my party with one drink in my hand, seemingly drinking normally and casually, but having already chugged from, you know, the vodka bottle upstairs before I ever came down. Because you knew you needed it. I knew I needed it. I needed more. What did your wife know? She knew that I drank every day because she she tells the story. She's like, yeah, I remember asking him like when we were first together, like, do you drink every day? And, And you going, yeah, like it was no big deal. Like, yeah, I guess I do. I drink every day, smoke something, something every day. So I knew that you partied certainly more than she did. But she was also, we were both also very, even after we got married, we got married at nine months, but we were still very sort of in our own worlds. And me mostly because of the booze and alcohol, but her also because of her career stuff. She was focused on trying to do her own thing. And we were kind of still living a little bit separate. Sure. And she's much more abstract. I'm more hyper aware of everyone and everything around me. She's a little bit more loosey goosey, not quite aware. She was very easy to hide it from. And so I and had. She this, wasn't looking. She also wasn't looking, exactly. But I had this room in our house. I had this, this kind of man cave that had a bar and had a big screen. And I would drop the blinds and drop the big screen. And I would, you know, watch movies and smoke weed. But oftentimes I would also, you know, have leftover coke from the weekend and I would be doing blow on Monday and Tuesday until it ran out by myself in that room. And, you know, and again, 6am going, what the fuck? I have a meeting at 10. What the fuck am I doing? Jenny was going to be, my wife's going to like fucking kill me. What am I doing? And then I got fired from a job. I got fired. And, um, what was the gig? I got, well, basically I got in trouble. I started, this is when, so Twitter, was kind of new, you know, like 2010, whatever it was. For me, it was new, like 2011. I started tweeting and I and I wasn't working a ton at the time. It was kind of in this weird kind of post-American pie, kind of a lull, pre-Orange is the New Black, kind of having an existential crisis, partying a ton to escape this confusion and feelings and inadequacies and whatever. And Twitter kind of came about and it was an opportunity for me to, you know, I have a pretty raunchy and sense of humor and I like to, you know, surprise people and whatever, but um, I use Twitter as my platform to sort of do that on a larger scale. And I would make these really provocative jokes. Howard Stern is a hero of mine. Me too. And I was just like, oh, fuck it, go for it, go for it. And half, and my followers just kept increasing, increasing, like hundreds of thousands of people. I'm like, oh, I'm doing something right. Even though I'd get a lot of comments, be like, what the fuck? How dare you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And I started getting like a lot of hate. I would make these tweets, some of them political in nature, some of them religious in nature, and I would get some backlash and Fox News ended up running a story on me. What was the most uh, egregious tweet? The most egregious was basically, 
it was it was kind of the the the, the worst of it was and again I don't even want to say it now because right, certainly it's now bad. it's like, oh, dude, what the it's, fuck, It's man? cancelable bad? It Certainly. If I if I said it now, if anyone said it now, I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? How, you know, and it was like, it was kind of sexual in nature about a politician's spouse. Okay. And Fox News and right wing, you know, clickbait sites started running stuff, articles. And I was, at the time I was doing uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. It was a Nickelodeon animated yeah. series. And they started like, and then once, once I did like sort of that tweet, then every single tweet I made that was even had a curse word in it, they would like write some article right. and blah, blah, blah. I remember, I remember like making a tweet like, oops, shit in the bidet again. And they ran a whole article. Right. Jason Biggs, raunchy tweets, da, 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 da. Is this acceptable for, te- for Nickelodeon? And, you know, I remember making a Pope joke or something. You got just, fired from the Teenage Mutant Ninja so, Turtle job. So, I thought you left it. So what happened was, so people started writing in and complaining and calling Nickelodeon and started started calling for boycotts, boycotting the sponsors that sponsored the, the show on Nickelodeon. And, you know, and seemingly it was, you know, a, a, a big deal i don't know ultimately how many people really did call in although the people that the, i remember going to record an episode one day right after it all sort of happened and the receptionist there i was like do, do people really got there she's like the phone hasn't stopped ringing i'm like what she's like yeah they're calling all the time asking for you to be fired i was like oh, oh my, my god. god and i was like a good i'm a good boy right so to have this but at but because i was so fucked up and like in such a like you know, I, I just not myself. It's I was so insidious. Drug, it's a classic. Drugs. It's such an out, interesting way for the for the drugs and alcohol to show right? themselves in weird tweets. Dude, when you have this day job, it's exactly, total double life shit. Exactly, dude. And I and I would and I doubled down. I was partying. I was drinking. And most again, yeah, like you said, most of these tweets I was doing like at night, drunk, you know, or on Ambien and wouldn't remember them the next day. But some of them I wasn't even fucked up at the time, but because of my whole life at the time was drug and alcohol haziness, um, it was all that. It was all like, it, it just, it, it empowered me in a way that I would never have done in a sober mind, with a sober mind. And I doubled down on Twitter. I would fight back with people that called for me to be canceled and, and uh, fired. I'd be like, you know, one of my big... I would defend it. One of my big things was like, dude, they hired a pie fucker. Like it's a voice. Like fuck you. Sarah Silverman does the voice for this big movie. Did you want her? You know, like fuck you guys. Right. Like you hypocrites. Right. That got me nowhere. Of course. It, of course. That's it, a great alcoholic <laughs> drug addict move. <laughs> fuck you guys. <laughs> fuck you guys. Yeah. It's you, not me. Yeah, of course. So I just dug the hole deeper and deeper and ended up, dude, I remember like I had a, and, and so Nickelodeon, and they, to their credit, they kept like, they apologized on my behalf. They didn't ask for an apology from me at first. They tried to have my back. They tried to keep going. They kept me there after a bunch of tweets. And then finally, I forget, oh, I know <laughs> The tweet that broke the camel's, the straw, straw that broke the camel's back was I was in Orange is the New Black had come out. We were in Mexico City promoting it. And I was in a van with Natasha Leone and Laverne Cox and my wife, Jenny, was there with me and our like publicists and some people. We were driving to like the premiere or something and someone's on their phone and someone, I think Natasha, she goes, oh my God, again? And we were like, what, what happened? She goes another Malaysian Airlines plane like 
exploded or something. So at this point, you know, the first Malaysian airplanes was still missing. Right. We had no idea. It disappeared into, we don't know. It was never discovered still. And then the second one happened, if you remember. It was at, in the van. We don't know what happened. We just, I, I'm just hearing from Natasha, a plane, another Malaysian Airlines plane crashed or something happened, disappeared. I don't know. And I just immediately took to my Twitter and right. wrote, does anyone want to buy my Malaysian Airlines frequent flyer miles? <laughs> right, right. Which is actually which pretty is pretty decent. funny. Yeah, it's pretty decent. Jenny actually to this day, she's like, it's I thought it was a really funny tweet. It's way better than any tweet I've ever okay. written. But that's so, not saying much. But within the hour, by and by the way, then you do the you know you kind of look a little bit more. It's like oh shit, it got shot down over Ukraine. Right. <laughs> like what the fuck? You start seeing the pictures. The pictures are crazy. And within the hour, TMZ ran a picture. They basically superimposed a picture of me smiling, all happy, my face, with the background of the flaming debris right. um, of the crash. And right, you know, the headline is Jason Biggs makes crude, you know, whatever, insensitive Malaysian Airlines t- tweet, you know. I got the call, like, the next day from Nickelodeon. They're like, we're, we're, we got to be done. And again, I still was like, What? So Twitter, like, excel. I mean, when we talk about you not having a reputation, you gave yourself the reputation I did, I did through it. Twitter. And I want. It's funny because it was a repu- It was a version of the reputation that I wanted at first. Like, right. I'm, I'm not the American Pie kid right. anymore, guys. I'm, I'm, I can be crass and, and I mean, which is Night weird because I, because and, and I was crass. It's like I was known as a guy who fucked the pie, and I did raunchy comedy. So it's, it was different. It was just like I'm provocative, and I'm not the boy next door I'm da, da, da. I I thought this was a good thing for me and I enjoyed it to an extent and then it it ended up biting me in the ass it ended well you up- were tearing down an image of yourself that you didn't like totally and, and like and just when you say that you're a Howard Stern fan I can imagine the image that you wanted yep. to be this you know not bad boy but somebody who could say whatever he wanted yep. And, yep. and in any way and and not give a fuck and and like and and be okay and yep. it's like but you're you're biting the hand that fed you because you're exactly. getting paid so good yep. and your lifestyle is so good based on this squeaky clean exactly. image that does raunchy shit. Exactly. And you know what the most interesting thing for me that I've discovered in sobriety is that really wasn't me. The 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 squeaky clean, the guy that I initially presented to be that is more in line with who I am and who and it is totally in line with who I want to be now. Well, you're like, a dad. And stuff. I'm a dad. I'm sober. I'm a dad. I've got kids. Like, so now I'm trying to like get myself back to a more wholesome image as I'm trying to like, you know, as I am a dad and I'm trying to play dad roles and I'm doing more sort of family fair, which I'm, I want to do. But it's just interesting that now I'm because of that Twitter thing, I spent a few years trying to like having to sort of it's initially I fought the wholesome thing. Then I had to spend a few years fighting that that the Twitter raunchy clown thing, and now I finally feel like I'm I'm in a place where I'm more comfortable than I've ever been. Right, like I really am who I am. This is um, a dad is what I was. You know, this is the role I was meant to really play. I'm not a fucking druggie and partier and late nighter. I did that. It was fun until it wasn't. But this is this is me. This is who I am now. And I guess there could be different. There were different versions of me. You, there's so life is so fucking long. There's so many chapters. But like this is definitely the most me that I've ever felt. How'd you get sober though? 
So I remember um, not to not to well, not did, to give up your beautiful. I got to be me because no, I, no, I mean, no. like that's that's the deal. All I ever wanted when I before I was using was to not give a fuck. You know yeah. what I mean? And I, I I couldn't put enough drugs in me for me not to give a fuck. Yeah, totally. As much as I really wanted to, yeah. and and like I have the same experience that you do. I love who I actually am. It's okay that yeah. I give a fuck. Yep. That's yep. fine. It's yep. like, I just wanted to really not care, but it turns out that even if I fucking shoot gigantic shots of heroin, I still care. You still care. Yeah. So, yeah. but how did you get sober? So I kept playing, you know, I kept doing the games when I was partying of like, Oh, I, you know, I'll stop when I'm, I'll chill out when I'm 25. And I was like, well, 25, I'm still partying, whatever. I'll, when I'm 30, that's when I'm a, really an adult. I'll, I'll chill out then I'll stop then. I won't do that. And all those things came and went, obviously. And, you know, I said, oh, oh, when I get married, I'll fucking stop playing the games and doing this shit. That came and went. And the other thing, of course, I was like, when I have kids, right? Or, you know, I can't keep, I can't keep being this guy. And again, we know, obviously, you do it for yourself. You have to. And I, now, doesn't work. and I now am. And that's why I've managed to stay, stay sober the last five years. Nice. But the reason I didn't stay sober the first four years I was trying this was because I wasn't doing it for myself and because I didn't really believe really deep down that I couldn't uh, uh, drink, that I was really an alcoholic, that I couldn't actually party a little bit or drink a little bit um, in a healthy way. I, I still was trying to convince myself. I had My brain was still trying to tell me that I could take a drink and, and be okay with it. Spent the first four years doing that. But that was also because I was, you know, looking at outside things. I was like, oh, I got to stay sober because I don't want to get fired again. I got to stay sober because now I have a kid. So so basically, I so Jenny got pregnant. The Sunday, we found out Sunday of Memorial Day weekend in 2013 that Jenny was pregnant. We've been trying to get pregnant for a little while. And my response to that was crack open the champagne. It was Memorial Day weekend. I ended up that weekend... We had people over, barbecued, partied, and I ended up like, she obviously didn't, but I did it for both of us. I found mushrooms in the house. That was another, I love mushrooms, did a lot of mushrooms. It's interesting you did mushrooms and not acid. I know, love mushrooms. Yeah, love, love, love. Yeah. But I found mushrooms, I found Coke, uh, or I got Coke. We had, I found Adderall. I just like did everything in my house that whole weekend. Woke up on Tuesday morning like, holy shit, what am I doing? I just... My wife just told me she's pregnant. We've been wanting to have a kid. What is this fucking shit? I can't. By then, the red flags have been appearing more and more. I had finally actually brought it up with my therapist like a couple months before that because I had had so just some really I used by myself and was in like a kind of post, you know, coke, booze, depression and felt was like really just another one, you know, just really feeling shitty and stressed about my career and just I brought it up with my therapist like I think I'm I think I might have a, a I don't know a drinking issue I don't know how I phrased it I think I was I tiptoed around it obviously right but it was interesting my therapist said by the way this is a therapist who I'd been coming in and telling her about my partying like my coke and blah, 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 usage and all this stuff I told her when I finally said I think I might have an issue she goes you know I've been kind of waiting for you to say that Number one. And number two, I debated whether or not I should tell you this, but I've been sober for 34 years. Right. I was like, holy shit. Okay. See, I feel like the therapist should have told you to get sober years before. I mean, you know, <laughs> right? right? Dude, what the fuck? I You've been know. sober? Yeah. You sh- you what the yeah. fuck? I don't know. 
Uh, but anyway, it was all that all happened around the same time. I brought it up with my therapist, found out she was sober, had this bender when my wife found out my wife was pregnant, came out of that thinking, what the fuck am I doing? And basically my therapist, you know, I was like, I don't want to do rehab. I'm super freaked out about it. A, I don't know if I need in hindsight, I actually wish I did do it. But at the time I was like, I don't, I don't know if I need rehab. And also I'm scared of it getting out and blah, 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 and all this shit. Um, stupid. But, and she's like, well, what about AA? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. What do I do? I don't know. Again, I don't want to just show up by myself to some AA meeting. She's like, well, I, I have someone, a really good friend of mine, this woman, she's actually a sober coach, but she'll, I'm sure she would just take you to a meeting if you'd like. I'm sure she could take you to one that you would feel comfortable in. And I go, fuck, okay. So I reach out to her. You're in LA or you're in I'm in New LA. So I reach out to her. My first ever AA meeting, I literally, uh, she takes me to this meeting on Vine Street at some coffee shop. And we roll in. First of all, and by the way, I don't want to disparage her because she's actually great. She's still in my life. I love her and she's wonderful. But, but when we both laugh about this, but she took me, there were like six people in this meeting. Okay. I'm like super nervous, hat on, hoodie up, right. like trying to be anonymous. She took me to a meeting. There's six people sitting around one table. That's a and lot. The, that's a lot, right? And I'm like so freaked out. And the speaker gets up and literally starts qualifying. And one of the things he starts talking about is how he came to LA to be an actor and how, you know, he has so much resentment for successful, for actors. successful actors. <laughs> yeah. He literally is like, you know, I'll literally like be down here and I'll look up at the hills and those houses in the hills and think like, God, fuck you guys. You know, like, I can't believe it. Like, I've been struggling. And I'm literally, my hat is down. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm literally had a house in the hills, right. right? Like, I'm literally, he's talking about me and I'm trying so hard. And at one point, like, I, it was, I don't know. I think it was, uh, oh, I think it was a round table. Like you, everyone kind of shared kind of thing. And I was so nervous about doing it. Um, but the moment he clocked me, it was so mortifying. I felt so bad. He was like, you could just see it on his face that it was, it was just so awkward. He felt guilty. He felt guilty. But you felt I horrible. felt horrible. Did you share? You didn't share. I don't, Six people I at didn't the share. I didn't share. No, I think I, I think my girl, she, she had my back. She was like, oh, he's, you know, I don't even think I said I'm an alcoholic. I was really like, cause I went in going, I don't want to say, right. I Anything. don't want to talk. I really just want to kind of sit in the back, but there was no back. It's amazing that you went back after that. She literally, as we left, she's like, please, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I thought there was going to be more people. It's the wrong, it was, the wrong meeting. I'm, I took you to a bad meeting. I'm so sorry. Can please just promise me you'll go to another meeting? And I said, okay. She's like, okay, tomorrow. Can we go tomorrow? Can we go tomorrow? And so it happened quick enough. And I just said, yeah, that it, like, I didn't have too much time to be like, fuck that dude. This is insane. Are you kidding me? I'm not doing that shit. But I also kind of knew at that point, I was like, I, I kind of heard something in that meeting. I don't remember what besides resentment towards being a successful actor. But I remember, you know, OK, I, I'll go back to the next meeting. I remember the next meeting was much more speed. It was big. I hung in the back. I kind of was chill. And I don't know. I just kept hearing things that I connected with and just kept going back enough to where I was like, OK, I guess maybe I should do this. Became less afraid of being anonymous you know, started because then like, you know, I see Ozzy Osbourne in a fucking meeting and, you know, 
not blowing his energy. I think he just he, totally blew his energy. He no, he's fucking talking. Okay, right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, wait, should I not have said I'm just, that? I'm, I'm like, everyone knows about him being in meetings. But you know, I would go, oh fuck, okay. I guess it's fuck, fuck it. Ozzy's like, I resent all working <laughs> actors, <laughs> especially uh, ones that blow my anonymity. Uh, Jack was on Dopey twice. Oh, uh, was he? Yeah. I love Jack. He, yeah, he's he's an interesting character. Yeah. Okay, so, but you said you d- it didn't stick the first time. So it didn't stick a bunch of times. So actually, I think I put a year together was the most. I did a cake, you know, in LA, they do cakes. I like that. Yeah, and but then I, for whatever. Did you ever I, have a dirty cake? What does that mean? You know about dirty cakes? Oh, where you actually don't have the year? Yeah, yeah, dirty That's cake. funny. I've know. never heard that term. Yeah, my friend Erin said she took a dirty cake. I think she took a couple dirty cakes. Interesting. You know the dirty cake is incredibly delicious. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, I made it to a year and then I immediately relapsed. What was the relapse? And then I never got. And my relapses were real shitty for the most part. Like, stupid. Uh, all booze. Oh, no. One one time I did rel- I did call my dealer when I was in L.A., my old Coke dealer, and was like, hey, you still around? It had been a few years. I was like, you still around? Like, yeah, man. I'm. I was like, where are you? I'm on your corner right now. He was close. He was fucking close. I was like, okay. And I started doing, this was after my son was born, my first son. We're back in LA. My wife and I are doing a TV show together. We're hosting a show. We're all staying in the same Airbnb. And I think that I'm going to like be able to like hide doing, you know, there was vodka left in the Airbnb freezer, you know? So I started doing that and then went to pavilions, replaced the vodka, drank, drank down to the level. And she knew you were being, you were sober. She knew I was sober. And uh, and then I was like, oh, fuck it. I drank already. I'm going to get Coke. And I called my dealer and da, 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 da. And I was like, what? where did I think? I don't know what I was thinking. It, what was the end game? You know, I literally was like trying to hide it. I think I knew that I was going to have to be like, yeah, I'm, you know, fucked up. <laughs> How did you accept even that you were an alcoholic? Like when did when did you cross that line into acceptance that you were an alcoholic or an addict or whatever? In in earnest, yeah. like true, yeah. proper, uh-huh. in hindsight, now knowing it was really the first time mm-hmm. was five years ago. I'll have five years in two weeks. Nice. And that's when, so I, I we had our second kid. He'll be five in a few weeks. We were just home from the hospital. Someone had given us a bottle of wine and, which is a stupid gift to give sober parents, by the Horrible. way. Horrible. Terrible. It's like, here's some Coke too. And it had a yeah, crack yeah, and a yeah. crack pipe, just here's, in case. Congratulations. Yeah. Here's a cigar laced yeah. with uh, cocaine and yeah, meth. Exactly. Um, and it was one of the ones with like a twisty cap, which is brilliant for a sneaky alcoholic who's trying to sneak their booze, right? So then you just boop, 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 twist it off, no sound. And I just drank, I ducked down below the kitchen. I drank, literally my newborn is like crying in the back room. And I just like, didn't even think, didn't even think about it. Just ducked down behind the counter, chugged a half bottle of wine, got a little buzz on. And did you fill it with water? What'd you do? No, my wife isn't even aware. My wife isn't aware even that right. the booze may or may not be even be in the house. Right. Like, and so, yeah, I just like drank the bottle, got drunk or buzzed, whatever. And then, yeah. And then like, I don't know. I think that night, like, you know, was said something slurry and she's like, are you being fucking weird? I'm like, I'm drunk. <laughs> you know, just like stupid. Like, I don't know what I did. I'm like, ah. And the next morning, I go to leave my apartment. You were here. You were here. I'm in New York. Go to leave the apartment. And a guy walks in that I recognized from my Perry Street meeting. I go, you know, have you ever been to Perry Street? Yeah. Yes. Famous New York meeting. Yes. And I had been going there 
you know, but like, again, going, but not engaging. Part of, one of my things besides not really, besides my brain still trying to convince me that I could drink in a healthy way somehow, besides that big thing was I didn't engage with other people. There was no fellowship. I didn't want to meet anyone. Didn't want to talk to you. Didn't share very much. Didn't, you know, I would go to meetings, but almost as a just like almost so that I could say, you know, almost to like for the credit, you know, like I, for I'm my, doing this. Like, yeah, to sort of hold it uh, over my wife when we'd fight. I'm like, I'm working on myself. You're not, you know, even though we were both in therapy as well, whatever. It just it just wasn't happening. I wasn't there in earnest or in good faith. And so uh, but that next day after I drank that bottle of wine, I go downstairs and I recognize one of the fellows from my uh, like a very recognized. He always sat in the front row. This guy, Michael A., he walked in. He's been the guy, the music manager. Yeah. He's been on Dopey. Yeah, Michael Alago. I, yeah. I just blew his anonymity, but I he, know. He, well, he, he's also talked about it. He's a, yeah. does that, he did that Netflix doc. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Michael walks into my building. Yeah. I, we had just moved in, actually, to the building. And Michael walked into the building, and I recognize him, and I'm like, holy shit, that's the guy from fucking Perry Street. I know it is. And I don't say anything to him. I, and he's like, because he's like walking out with, Someone, he was coming to see someone in the building. And then, but then again, like I come back a couple hours later and he comes back at like the same time with that guy. And I'm like, I gotta say something. I have to say something. This is a, now I know to be a God shot. And I literally go up and I'm like, I'm sorry, uh, Perry Street? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I I'm so sorry. I can, um, you're Michael, right? Like, you know, I'm Jason. I've come to Perry Street. You probably, we'll sit in the back, but. You know, I forget what I said to him, but he basically was dropping his friend off and he said, uh, where, where are you going? And I was like, well, I was just coming home. I think it was just coming home. And he's like, come take a walk with me. And I literally go and I walk with him to Chelsea from the West Village. And he's just telling me his story and asking me mine. And he's like, come to, and I told him I j just drank a bottle of wine. And he's like, well, it's a good thing you're running into me. He's like, I'll see you tomorrow at Perry Street. And I was nice. like, I was like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I'll be tomorrow at Perry Street. And then the next day I went to Perry Street and he made me sit in the front row, <laughs> you know. He's like, come sit up here. Come sit next to me. And I was like, okay. And at that point, I was like, first of all, I recognized that to be some sort of divine intervention of sorts, right? Some Something was happening. Something was working on your behalf. Something was working on my behalf yes. for that to fucking yes. happen. Yes. By the way, never... I've now been living in that building for five years. We moved in right before this happened. I've never, he's never been back in the building. Michael's never been back to this building. He never came back again. It was like the one time he was visiting this friend. That fucking weird. Anyway, he's like, come sit up here. And I sat up there. He's like, raise your hand, share. You know, and it's just like, I started going back to Perry Street. And through him, I was like, I guess I could talk to people. I started talking to people. And then like a couple weeks in, this younger dude came in, actually my age, but like, you know, it's, Perry Street's a lot of old guard sure, names. Sure, But someone my age came in and was like really not in a good spot and was like, we became friends and he like needed me, you know, and I would take him out for coffee and fucking that. And like, it all started clicking for me. That Service. was five years ago. Service, fellowship, and also just like, Whatever it was, it was it. That was the time. However many relapses later, now it was four years and multiple relapses. Most of them chill, um, but it was finally like I can't do this in a healthy way. I belong here. I cannot. If 
fucking drink or drug in a, in a way that is not going to be detrimental to my emotional well-being and to my physical well-being and to my relationships that I want to keep healthy. It's just yeah. not going to fucking work. No, I love it. That's a, that's a very, very great, hopeful end to this story. Yeah. And you've given us a lot of time. I hope I hope I haven't stolen your day from you. No, dude, I got to go hang out with some other movie stars at their nice apartments. At their but... father's apartments and yeah. low-income housing. <laughs> dude, my um, God. No, this has been fun, man. I, I appreciate you having me on, really. It was fun to, you know, I feel like it's some service because I feel like some people will hear right, this. Call, yeah, let's call it service. Tell Jason Muse to call it service. This fucking cocksucker, I'm pounding on his door. To His wife used to write me back, but he... I need him on the show. He won't come on the show. <laughs> okay. I don't understand. His wife's great. I don't really talk to him much. You're in Jason. I mean, like yeah. you did. You were so good in the in the Jane Bob, Bob movies. Yeah. So fun. Thanks, thanks, man. Do you like those movies? Love them. And Loves you, and you also Kevin. had uh, Kevin Smith was your director in uh, in in the Jersey movie. Jersey Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. That was like Ben and Jen 1.0 height of their fucking like paparazzi like climbing telephone poles near our set it was crazy dude and that you've been funny. doing you've been doing a ton of game shows do you like I game shows them. i love I game shows. love them dude i love them because it's fun they're fun i like them as a fit to watch you know it's fun easy television but i fucking love hosting man it's so much fun it's great it's like literally especially you know i want to live in new york i don't i it's it's great because literally no matter where i shoot it, it it's in and out. You're like two weeks, you could do a whole season of TV. It's amazing. Um, but it's also fun. It requires you to like, it's, it's a little bit of acting, but it's engaging with people. It's interviewing, it's having it's, fun. It's having fun. It's all this stuff. It's really like its own special kind of skill set that I feel like I have and is fun to play around with. And I, yeah, it's, I, I call it my pandemic pivot, man. It was like, listen, you can do anything though. You're, you're, you're a great that. actor. I appreciate uh, that. I'm, I'm, I'm now represented just to impress you a little bit. Yeah, I'm yeah. now represented by UTA hey. and I'm pitching them unscripted game shows. Cause I, I've always wanted to write a game show. Fucking great. So maybe, well, dude, maybe this is a thing right here. Maybe bro. this is our own little God shot um, right now. Right. I don't know. I'm your, I'm your host, dude. Come on. Dude, Jason, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, man. Beyond generous to it's come a- to our hovel and, and, and kick the dopey <laughs> around like you did. So- it, it's an absolute pleasure. I am now a big fan of yours. Oh, that's nice. And uh, thank you for, for your time, man. Right on. Thank you, man. Yeah. So that was Jason Biggs. He said he was a big fan of mine at the end. And I'm a big fan of his. Seriously, it was so cool that he came. He came to my dad's house and uh, was super revealing and super honest and vibey as fuck. And um, he's a good guy. For, for a non-Jew, he's very mensch-like in his jo- non-Jewiness. And isn't that shocking that he's not Jewish? I'm sure a lot of people knew he wasn't Jewish, but I, I, was, I was surprised. My dad thinks we've been having too many Jewish people on the show lately, so the fact that he's not Jewish is good for the show. Please write in to dopeypodcast at gmail.com and share your thoughts about Jason Biggs. And, and also send in a voicemail. Send in an email. Where are you guys at? What's going on in the Dopey Nation? I recently got a voicemail from a hardcore Dopey Nation dope named Jacob. I played it on, um, on Patreon, but it's such an unusual voicemail. 
that I want to end the show with it this week. So before I play it, I just want to say, like, I'm bursting with excitement about DopeyCon. I hope, uh, you know, it's a very small percentage of the audience that's going to be there. But the people who are there, you will be remembered and you will remember this. And the people who are not there, we're going to play it for you next week. There will be video available on uh, DopeyCon on Patreon. Uh, it will be all shot incredibly beautifully by Howard Beach Bucksbaum and Danny Amory of Very Nice Industries. And it will be on Patreon probably in a couple weeks. And then eventually, way down the line, it will be on YouTube. So if you're dying to see uh, DopeyCon, join Patreon, right? Right. We're super excited. And when I say we, I mean me. I'm super excited about DopeyCon. I wish you guys could all be there. Next year, we'll do it again. Here is Jacob Purvis before we go. This is Jacob Purvis, otherwise known as uh, Jake the Duck. And this is my Dr. Seuss tale of getting trapped in the mall on DXM. Twas a crisp autumn evening in a Mississippi city where two teenager hippies were getting into mischiefy things like riding around, smoking cigarettes and blunts. And my lips shan't be bound, we were odd little cunts. We weren't into sporting or hunting or fishing, but let it be known we were well on a mission to get extra fucked up, become one with the stars, and we'd make our own luck as we were turned down from bars. We were 16 and angry, two sad little men, as we blared grunge and LPs by him, Shady Slim. And as we were both born with low natural endorphins, depressed since the TVs would play Mighty Morphin, we got our hands on it, took more than a portion, a powerful molecule, dextromethorphan. Along with the syrup that tasted like asses, we had one weak tab of that lysergic acid, some Lyrica too, also known as pregabalin, which will make you feel drowsy and drunk and get babbling. We parked at the mall in a lot which was empty. We took all the drugs, which was much more than plenty. The plan was to leave and to head to my parents' house, to sneak in, avoid them, not the sound of a mouse, to trip balls in my bedroom, become one with the clouds. But our plan was soon root. We'd been thrown a wrench. My friend had the shit. Wasn't one he could pinch. We ran to the door and opened it with ease, and inside the mall so his bowels we'd release. But quickly we realized that the lights were all off. The doors were all locked as we walked down the hall. No salesman with face creams to give you a call. One question was begging, so I asked with my awe, Dude, holy fuck, did they close the mall? The answer was clear. And what was the worst, the neurons and chemicals started to burst. Oh, God, do you feel it? I asked to my friend, but his pupils revealed I need not ask again. And for those not familiar with old DXM, one effect that is strong is the one on your limbs. I looked at my buddy who stood at 6'4", and he looked like he stood 20 feet off the floor. But other than that was his gait and the pace as he looked like a Frankenstein in a foot race. His arms and his legs were as stiff as a board. I pointed it out, but he laughed to the floor. As I had developed an odd gait myself, a bow-legged crab walk like never before. 
The next we noticed was we had been talking and gotten lost in the process of alien walking. We thought that the bathroom was to be straight ahead, but if anyone saw us, our straight face was dead. Fearing the cops, we decided on running, which turned out to be just hilariously funny, but we needed the loo because my bud had the runnies. Hey, a voice cried out through the pitch black halls. Freeze! We took literally, freeze frame and all. Not moving an inch, we watched as he walked up. A rena cop saw us. He was probably a drunk. As we explained our strange story, even whilst we can't thunk, and he gazed at us angrily, these two little punks. We told him my buddy had needed to shit. He pointed us towards the pot as he threw a whole fit. Once my friend finished up, he sent us through the door. That almost seemed like a trap. I'd never seen it before. It was a solid brick hallway, no windows or doors, save the ones that the mall used to stock up their stores. The hallway went around the whole edge of the mall, so it looked never-ending and echoed when called. At this point, we realized we're both tripping balls. Oh, how in the fuck are we stuck in a closed mall? We eventually got out, and we cheered and high-fived. Holy shit, bro, we made it. Holy shit, what a ride. Uh, pretty sure I parked on the other side. And that was only half of the battle, you see as we had to drive home as a dolphin, I believed. Toodles for Chris, y'all. Thanks. Good night. Dexter Morphine, Dr. Sue Style, Jacob the Duck, Purvis, thank you for sending it in. Let me know what you thought of Jacob. This is the end of the show. I hope you guys are great. Subscribe to Patreon. Go on YouTube. You know, have a wonderful day. If I didn't say it, Recently, I'm going to say it now, like, you know, I was a fucked up drug addict and now I'm sober and it's uh, seven plus years later and I'm still making this show and my life is uh, a million times better because I do all this stuff. So thank you guys for being a part of it. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Jason Biggs. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, everyone who's coming to DopeyCon. Thank you, everyone who listens to the show. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I, uh, I'm going to play this song, but only because uh, I think it's going to make me look